Radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Well, good Sunday afternoon, everybody. This is Monica. Welcome to Arts, your afternoon radio theater Sunday. And I think I've got a good show lined up for you. And um, I just want to say that um, I'm glad to have you here. And um, if you like what you hear, um, subscribe to our channel, Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? Oh, and uh, along beside me is my geek guy, Victor. Hello. I think I need about two or three more cups of coffee, folks. But anyway, if you like what you hear, hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Um, um, join us. Uh, give us comments, feedback, anything you'd like to hear. Let us know uh, on Twitter at BlindWho's. B-L-I-N-D-W-H-O-S-E or you can um, contact us at whose blind life is it anyway at gmail.com uh, you can contact me on Twitter I'm Moni60 that's M-O-N-N-I 60 and um, I think I said the uh, whose channel the blind Life, uh, whose blind life is it anyway? Twitter is at blind whose. I keep wanting to say at who's blind, but anyway, <laughs> uh, none of us. <laughs> we're just. Uh, hey, I didn't come up with it. <laughs> and uh, we're on Facebook. You can like our page there. Um, and we're on all the podcasts if you don't like any of that. So anyway, um, just listen to us, subscribe to us however you want to. And I um, hope you enjoy the show. And um, the first thing that I've got for you, well, my shows today are going to be shows themed by the letter S. That's my theme. I decided that last week while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And plus my cherry on top, I changed it to a strawberry on top because I don't like maraschino cherries and that's what they usually put on Sundays so uh, <laughs> but uh, I'll get to my cherry on I didn't see Victor's advertisement this morning that he usually puts on Facebook telling everybody what's going to be on it but um, no I didn't I didn't let everyone know what the, what the strawberry was yeah I'm glad you didn't but uh, anyway we'll get to that right now what we're going to do is a sh is the shadow, and um, that's because somebody wanted to hear an episode of the shadow, and I didn't have that ready in last week's bundle, so uh, I put it in this week. And the one I picked out is called Death Triangle, and one reason I picked it out is because uh, it's one of those that has that awful scary laugh that the shadow has at the beginning so anyway y'all kick back and enjoy 
is what evil lurks in the hearts of men. <laughs> the shadow knows. Blue Coal presents The Shadow, the mystery man who strikes terror in the very hearts of shopsters, lawbreakers, and criminals. Today, The Death Triangle. Ladies and gentlemen, The Shadow will be with you in just a moment. In the meantime, I'd like to remind you of a well-known fact. Coal-colored blue means better heat at less cost. For when you buy blue coal, you're getting the cream of all Pennsylvania anthracite. The harmless blue coloring with which blue coal is trademarked is your guarantee of clean, even, safe, dependable heat all winter long. Such heat ensures the health of your entire household. So when you order coal, specify blue coal. Ask for it by name. Phone your order to your nearest blue coal dealer tomorrow. By order of the authority of Devil's Island, you, Pierre Martin, are hereby sentenced to 100 days in confinement solitaire and a hundred lashes in the presence of the assembled prisoners as a warning to all who would attempt to escape. Let the punishment begin. I will find the devil who betrayed me. One. I will learn his name. Two. I will kill him. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this program of organ music to bring you a special news flash from our affiliated press service. New York, December 12, 1937. The shadow has been found. Dr. James Evans, world-famous child surgeon, told reporters this afternoon that a wounded man who claimed to be the shadow forced his way into Dr. Evans' private clinic and at the point of a gun forced him to remove a bullet. The wounded man then revealed that he was none other than that mysterious character who has waged a one-man war against crime, the shadow. Before Dr. Evans could report the case to the police, however, the shadow mysteriously disappeared. The famous surgeon believes the shadow has little chance of surviving his wound. Our organ recital now continues. Dr. Evans speaking. <laughs> Dr. Evans, the man you claim to have operated upon was a fake. The real shadow has not been wounded. The shadow? You are the shadow? Yes, Dr. Evans. You don't seem surprised. I'm not. I've been hoping you'd get in touch with me. That statement I issued was false. False? Come now, Dr. Evans. 
A man of your high standing in the medical world does not issue false statements without very grave reasons. There was a very grave reason. I need your help. An old acquaintance of mine, Raymond Dubril, the financier, has received a death threat. Have him notify the police. No, he refuses to do that. Then let him take the consequences. Unless... Dr. Evans, have you also received a death threat? Yes, I have. Before I made this call, I investigated your past, Dr. Evans. My past is a matter of public knowledge. You were once a political prisoner on Devil's Island. You escaped 20 years ago with three other men. Raymond Dubril, the banker, and Pierre Martin, the concert pianist. Yes, but our convictions were reversed by a high court a year after we escaped. I know it was proved that you three were innocent. But what about the fourth man who escaped with you? A murderer. Jacques Cobay. He was caught and sent back to Devil's Island. After the escape, one of you betrayed him to the police. I don't believe that. Why else should he mark you for death? Then you know Kobe escaped from Devil's Island a second time six months ago? Yes, Dr. Evans. Then you're interested. You'll help? Yes, I will help. But only because your life is in danger, Doctor. The world can ill afford to lose the skill and genius that has saved the lives of countless children. You overestimate my importance, Shadow. But will you help? Yes. When and where does Covey's warning say he will strike first? At Dubriel's Long Island Estate tonight. How do you know this warning came from Covey? Dubriel received a miniature music box in the shape of a coffin in the mail this morning. A musical coffin? Yes. And when the lid of the coffin is raised, the music box plays a tune. A tune Dubriel, Martin, Covey, and myself whistled as a danger signal when we were planning our escape from Devil's Island. Where is Dubriel, Dr. Evans? At his Long Island estate. Martin is staying with him, and I am driving out there to spend the night. I had hoped you'd come and help. I will help you, Dr. Evans. Tell Dubriel and Martin... The shadow will be there tonight. Oh, good afternoon, Miss Lane. Is Mr. Cranston at home? Uh, No, Miss Lane, he's not. You know where I can reach him? Well, he may be at his club. No, I've tried there. His office? Yes, everywhere. Nobody's seen him all day. Oh, is there anything I can do? Uh, be sure and stay here in case he comes home. I'll call you on the phone later. Yes, miss. I've got to find him. I've got to. I've just got to. I've got to find him, Maybe Dr. Evans knows more than he told the newspapers. His office said he might be at home. Number 33. Yes, this is it. Oh, Lamont, I knew they'd shoot you someday. Yes, miss? Is Dr. Evans here? I must see him. I beg your pardon, miss, but are you another reporter? Yes, and I must see Dr. Evans. It's important. It's a matter of life or death. I'm sorry, miss, but Dr. Evans has nothing to say to the press. He's not at home. But I must see him. I must find him. I'm sorry. That car. That's Dr. Evans' car. Yes, miss. Where's he going? I'm not at liberty to say, miss. Never mind. I'll find out myself. Taxi. Taxi. Okay, miss. Where to? Follow that big black limousine, the one with the green cross on the license plate. That's a doctor's car, miss. I may have to break a lot of traffic laws if it goes through red lights. Never mind, I'll pay the fine. Don't lose sight of that car for a minute. Okay, lady, but this is going to be one fast ride. 
Linda, yes? drive us so down. That car's turning in at that estate. You want me to do it? Go through the gates after? No, it? no. Stop here. Okay. Here's five dollars. Hey, thanks, man. I wonder if this is just a wild goose chase. Lamont couldn't be way out here, not if he's wounded and dying. That car, it sounded like... Oh, but it couldn't be. It is. It's, it's Lamont. Lamont. Margot? Margot, what, what in heaven's name are you doing here? Oh, Lamont, then it wasn't true. You weren't shot. Dr. Evans didn't operate on you. Oh, no, so you heard that news flash, too. The papers are full of it. I tried to find you out the office at home, at your club, everywhere. I'm sorry, Margot. I should have known you'd worry, but I've had a very busy afternoon. Uh, how did you get here? I followed Dr. Evans' car. He just drove through those gates. What's happening, Lamont? Are you trying to find out why he said he operated on the shadow? Is, is someone impersonating you? No, uh, Dr. Evans did that, knowing I'd get in touch with him. He needs my help in a very special manner. But why? Is someone after him, threatening him? Yes, also the owner of this estate, the banker Dubril and Martin, the concert pianist. And you're going to help them? I'm interested in helping Evans. He's a great doctor and a great humanitarian. His life is in danger. Lamont, now that I'm here, is there anything I can do? Yes, Margot, wait in my car. Keep your eye on the house. If you see a light go on and off twice in one of the windows, drive to the nearest payphone and notify the state police to come to the Debril estate. I'll watch for the signal. Fine. I suppose there's no use my asking you to be careful. No, Margot, but uh, I'll try. I'll try to avoid really putting Dr. Evans to the trouble of removing a bullet from the shadow. Gabriel, stop pounding on the table and cursing Covey. Oh, that's all very well for you to say, Evans. Your turn hasn't come, but it will. If we three sitting here, you or me or Martin, don't get Covey when he comes here tonight, you will be the next on his list. You or Martin. Uh, don't concern yourself about my fate, Gabriel. I am not afraid of Covey. Oh, you'll change your mind if he manages to kill me, Martin. <laughs> I wonder what it's like to die. What do you think, Gabriel? Or do you ever think of anything but your fat stomach and your money? Are you... Gentlemen, this is no time to argue. I have something more important to tell you. What is it, Evans? I hear you had quite an experience today. Operated on this man who calls himself the Shadow. Yes. That's what I want to talk to you about. Ah, there's a man, Dubril, the Shadow. He might save you from Covey. Ah, uh, what could he do? I've had the best private detectives in the country trying to find some trace of Covey ever since he escaped from Devil's Island again six months ago. By the way, Dubril, I've always wondered who tipped off the police when Covey was hiding. After he helped us escape 20 years ago. Covey was a murderer. We were innocent men. And also, who betrayed me, Dubril, the time I tried to escape alone the first time? Matt time, Dubril, now listen to me. A moment ago, we were talking about the shadow. Well, he isn't dying. I didn't operate on him. I announced that, hoping the real shadow would get in touch with me. And did he? Yes. And he's coming here tonight to help us. I've always been curious to see this shadow. You won't see him. No man has ever seen him, but... He'll be here. Oh, Evans, for a man of intelligence, you're talking like a fool. The age of ghosts and mystic presences is... You're wrong, Gabriel, you're wrong. Because I am a doctor, I can readily accept the fact that the shadow is a master of the powers of mental suggestion, of mass hypnosis. Recent experiments have proven conclusively that... Ah, rubbish. (laughs) Allow me to convince him, Dr. Evans. What was that? Who spoke then? The shadow, Gabriel... You do not accept the theory of my power of invisibility. But perhaps you will accept the fact. For I am here. Sit down, Dubril. You look rather pale. If I am to help you, you will all sit down. 
sit at that table there. I understand there is little time to lose. I must know the whole story. The truth, if I am to help you. Do as the shadow says. Sit there, Matta. And you, there, Dubriel. Well, why don't you talk back, Dubriel? Be quiet, Matta. Dr. Evans, I will help you if I can. But there is one gap in the chain of events leading up to this moment. I'll tell you anything I know, Shadow. Then tell me this. When and under what circumstance did Covey first threaten your lives? It was the last day we spent in the open boat in which we escaped from Devil's Island, 20 years ago. Storms had blown us off our course. Our food was gone. Our water was exhausted. Covey, the only one who knew how to navigate, was... Well, he was slowly dying from hunger and thirst. I can still remember his cry. Water. Water. Oh, be quiet, Jose. There is no water. The cask is empty. You're lying, Dubril. All of you. You've been drinking my share. Give me that bucket. Give me a drink of that water. Don't let it go, Don't let it go. Salt water will kill him. Oh, what does it matter, Dr. Evans? Seventeen days in this open boat. Nights of storm and days of blazing heat. Water. Water. I'm dying, I tell you. Dying. You're not giving me my share. You're stealing my water. Where will you be if I die? I'm the only one that knows navigation. Be patient, Kobe. It may rain tonight. Oh, we might as well be back on Devil's Island. At least there was bread and water there. Bread? Bread? A crust? Just a crust of bread and water? Water? There's no bread, Kobe. The last crust went three days ago. You're cheating me. Killing me. You only brought me along to steer the boat. And now you're starving me to death. You don't want me to live. But I will live. I'll get you for this. I'll live to kill every one of you for this. You, Dupril. You, Martin. You, Evans. Oh, shut him up, Evans. You're a doctor. You know what to do. Look, look. See those. Oh, what does it matter if we have no guns? I know, but don't you see? The gulls never go far from land or a ship. Oh, you, you're right, Evans. Look, look to the west. It's land. Land at last. All right. There, to the southwest. You can see the sun of the mountains. We're saved. Free at last. Come back, come back. Sit up, sit up. Look, look. We've sighted land. There'll be food and water plenty for everybody. You tried to kill me. Starve me to death. But I'm going to live. I'm going to live until the last one of you is dead. And so you see, that's how it all began. And now Covey is free and out to get us, Shadow. But what makes you so sure it is Covey? Well, it couldn't be anyone else. It's Covey, all right. He said to breel that thing on the table. That oblong box? Yes, Shadow. Notice its shape. It's a miniature coffin, beautifully carved. Covey was a woodcarver. He was always handy with a knife. But still, it does not follow that he was the one. Except for one thing, Shadow. When the lid of the coffin is raised, it's a music box. And that tune it's playing was a warning signal we used while planning our escape from Devil's Island. Remember, only the four of us knew it. 
You bring your Kobe, Evans, and myself. Oh, stop it, Evans. Stop that cursed thing. Stop it, I tell you. I can't stand it. <laughs> so you have a conscience, eh, Dubril? That danger refrain recalls the past, doesn't it? Stop talking about it. It looks as though Kobe meant business, doesn't he? Don't sit there conniving over me. You forget your turn, maybe next, maybe tonight even. I am not forgetting anything, Dubril. You better study yourself, Dubril. I'll get you a drink. Oh, never mind. Here's the decanter. I'll pour it myself. Oh, that tune! Where is it coming from? I smashed the coffin. Good heavens, Dubril! It's the decanter in your hand. Oh, someone, someone changed the decanter. Kobe, he did it. He's here. He's been in his house tonight. You mean where he goes? To my room. I don't trust anybody. I'll be safe there behind locked doors, alone. And if Kobe comes, I'll be ready for wait, him. Wait, Dubril, wait. Let him go, Dr. Evans. But he shouldn't be left alone. Kobe may carry out his threat. Are you sure it is, Kobe? What do you mean? It must be. It couldn't be anyone else. The coffin, the decanters are his warning. I know. But you said the four of you knew the signal. Are you sure it isn't one of you? Of course not. I thought you said the shadow was here to help him. I am. But I am content to let events lead themselves to a logical conclusion. You mean you won't use your power to save us from him? I shall use my power at the moment it is required, Dr. Evans. Right now, for instance. Look on the table. Huh? There is a note where the decanter was standing. Good heavens. Kobe has been here. Listen to this matter. You are the first. And you will die tonight, Raymond Dubril. Ladies and gentlemen, the shadow will return in a moment. There are thousands of families living around snowbound Buffalo today who are as snug as a bug in a rug... Thanks to Blue Coal, you have read how the whole city of Buffalo has been literally snowed in. In that entire area, business practically came to a standstill for several days. But those families who laid in their supply of Blue Coal kept comfortable. The icy, biting winter blowing outdoors made no difference to them. These storms are reported to be coming eastward, so take a tip and get ready. Put in a supply of Blue Coal tomorrow. It is the most economical fuel that you can use. Furnaces, parlor stoves, and cooking ranges in New England were designed to use anthracite. And blue coal is America's finest anthracite. Blue coal is mined by the Glen Alden Coal Company and is especially prepared for home use. It is available in all domestic sizes, eggs, stove, chestnut, and pea. Every carload of blue coal is laboratory tested for purity and sizing before shipment from the mine. Blue coal burns steadily and evenly sending a full supply of heat to the living quarters of your home, even in the most severe weather. Get set for winter tomorrow by ordering Blue Coal. You will find the name of your nearest Blue Coal dealer in the Where to Buy It section of your classified telephone directory under the name Blue Coal. Dubril. Dubril. Wake up. I have come for you. <laughs> so you've come, Covey. Oh, you poor deluded fool. You think I'd let you kill me in my sleep? I've been awake, waiting here in the dark for you to come. <laughs> a little light helps. <laughs> so you've grown a beard since I saw you last, Covey. And your hair is gray. That gun in your hand won't save you, Dubril. If I die, I will take you with me. Listen, Covey. I didn't steal your food in the open boat. I swear it. No? You also betrayed me to the police. You told them where to find me. 
And I am not the only one you betrayed, am I, Dubriel? You betrayed Martin the time he tried to escape alone, didn't you, Dubriel? Yes, yes, but what do you care, Corvée? He wouldn't take me with him, but I did not betray you. Have you paid Martin for those hundred lashes and those hundred days of bread and water he got because you betrayed him? Oh, he doesn't know. He will never know it was I. Dubriel, you remember how we passed the long days in that open boat throwing knives? Don't raise that knife, Corvée. We got so good we seldom missed. I'll shoot if you move. But Martin was the best. You may shoot me, Dubriel, but my knife won't miss. Oh, wait. Wait a minute, Corvée. I will make a deal with you. Listen, Corvée. You're out to get Evans and Martin, too. If you throw that knife, I'll shoot you and you will never get them. Oh, you would help me kill Evans. I know he's here in the house. Yes, 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 sir. I hate Evans and Martin, too. I will help you get them. <laughs> so, you would betray Dr. Evans to save yourself, Dubriel. The shadow. Corvée... Don't be afraid. He's only a man. By some trick, he can make himself invisible, but he's flesh and blood. Quick, lock the door. We'll deal with him first. He won't get out. Now, now, Shadow, what can you do to stop us? Speak up. I dare you to speak. Listen where his voice comes from, Dubriel. Then shoot quickly. No, no, no. The shot would bring Evans and Martin. Throw your knife, Corvée. Make him speak. I won't miss. Speak up, Shadow. We will find you anyway. You can't get out. I am here. In the corner. In the far corner. Throw your knife, Corvée. I heard him. Oh, you missed. But he was there. No. Only my voice was there. Ventriloquism. He's there in front of you, Dupreel. Shoot, shoot. Yes, yes, I will shoot now. Yes, I will shoot. But not the shadow. He came here to help us catch you, Corvée. And he has your knife. It's gone. Now, Corvée, you are helpless. And now I'll deal with you. Treacherous snake. You fool. You think I carry only one knife? This one is for you. Oh, you devil. But I, I take you with me, Father. you both. Why did you do this, Pierre? Why? I hated Dubriel because he betrayed me on Devil's Island. I hated you, Evans, because you have got the things that I always wanted. Success, fame, glory. It was I sent the musical coffin. The warning note. I knew you'd think it was Kobe. I've got Dubriel, but Kobe will get you, Evans. He's after you. He will get you. He will kill you. He will... Martin, Martin! Stop breathing. Dead. Yes, Dr. Evans. He is dead. You are quite safe now. You forget Covey. No, Dr. Evans. I knew, even when I phoned you today, that it was not Covey who sent the musical coffin. What? I knew it was not Covey. It had to be Martin or Dubriel. Why didn't you stop them? Martin and Dubriel were both criminals plotting to kill you. If I had stopped them, your life would have been in danger as long as they lived, hating you always for having attained the things 
that life denied them. But you forget, Shadow. Kobay may find me. Succeed where Martin fails. Never. I learned the whole history of all of you before I saw you. Yes? Everything, Dr. Evans. Your escape from Devil's Island after Dubriot's betrayal of Martin that resulted in the hundred lashes and his resolve for vengeance. And from the authorities at Devil's Island, I learned the truth about Kobay's last escape. Yes, I see now. I see now why he hated us. But what about Kobe? You are safe now, Dr. Evans. Safe from Kobe. The chain of logic is complete. Three months ago, a bleached skeleton was found on a deserted beach at Trinidad. It has just been identified as the body of Kobe. Before we tell you of the Shadow's next exciting adventure, here's John Barclay, Blue Coal's famous heating expert. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Barclay. Good evening, friends. While you're doing your Christmas shopping, why not get a gift for your own home? Something will not only make it a cheerier, happier place in which to live, but also make it easier to run. To my mind, the perfect gift for any home is a Blue Coal heat regulator. This marvelous thermostat provides the last word in comfort. For example, there's no running up and down stairs to open and close dampers. The blue coal thermostat does that tiresome job automatically. Keeps your home at just the temperature you want from morning till night. It can be attached to any kind of heating equipment. Steam, hot air, hot water, even a parlor heater. And it'll give you more uniform heat, more economical heat than you can get with the most expensive oil burner. In fact, this blue coal heat regulator will completely modernize your present heating equipment. And yet it costs only $18.95 plus a small installation charge. You'll be amazed at the amount of fuel it saves you. So this Christmas, give your family the gift of a lifetime, a blue coal heat regulator. Your nearest blue coal dealer will be glad to give you complete information regarding it. Phone him tomorrow. Thank you, Ken Roberts. Thank you, Mr. Barclay. And friends, take Mr. Barclay's good advice. Make this Christmas a memorable one by having a blue coal heat regulator installed in your home. You'll save its small cost time and time again in fuel consumption. And you'll make your home a happier, healthier place in which to live. So don't wait. Phone your nearest blue coal dealer tomorrow. The story you have just heard is copyrighted by The Shadow Magazine. The characters in this story are entirely fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. And at this time, may we remind you to mail your Christmas presents and cards early to secure delivery before December 24th. There will be no post office service on December 25th. <laughs> the weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The shadow knows. <laughs> you know, I love that laugh, but the laugh I love best is the one that the hermit does on Hermit's Cave. And, uh, you know, that the commercial, and that brings back memories for me because... Uh, when I grew up, when I was a little girl, we used to heat with um, wood and coal. And uh, 
So, and sometimes, and coal has a smell about it, but I used to love it when uh, Daddy would use the kerosene. And uh, we had keros we had some kerosene lamps, too, but um, sometimes he'd use it in the fire, I guess, if he didn't have any coal. But mostly we used firewood. Um, but anyway, um, I don't know what caused that little pause that we had earlier. I was afraid it, it was in the track. I was afraid it wasn't going to start back, but it did. And I listened to this before I sent it to you, and I don't know how I missed that. But anyway. Well, um, I did tell them that there, we don't edit the stuff we put out there on arts. Yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, um, the next thing we're going to do is uh, another one of these theater things. That um, Old-time radio has got so many playhouses and theaters and <laughs> and uh this next one is screen director's playhouse uh what's the one i picked please the night has a thousand eyes yeah that's right um that was a good one uh it wasn't what i thought it was gonna be when i listened to it but um it was still good so I hope y'all enjoy it. Screen Director's Playhouse. You got anything to say, Guru? Mm, here we go. <laughs> From Hollywood, the NBC Theater presents... Screen Director's Guild Assignment. Production, Night Has a Thousand Eyes. Director, John Farrell. Star, Edward G. Robinson. Theater presents the Screen Directors Guild production of A Chronicle of Fear. Paramount's Night Has a Thousand Eyes, with its original team of screen director John Farrell, screen star Edward G. Robinson, and William Demmer. technical and artistic skills are the everyday instruments of the motion picture director, the very heart of his craft is fashioned from another sort of knowledge, the knowledge of the world in which he lives, and that can be gained only by living a life rich in experience. Such is the background of tonight's guest on the NBC Theater. A native Australian, he has been a seaman, soldier of fortune, adventurer at large, and has made an enduring mark as a scholarly writer of fiction and non-fiction. Here, then, is the director of many famous Paramount films, such as Wake Island, Two Years Before the Mast, The Big Clock, the soon-to-be-released alias Nick Beale, and tonight's story, Night Has a Thousand Eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Farrell. Night Has a Thousand Eyes is a story of the supernatural, but it is not a flight of fancy. Counterparts of the strange phenomena in tonight's story have been the subject of recent scientific study by some of our universities. Thus, through the medium of film, and now through the radio, 
we attempt to reveal a bizarre and a rather terrifying aspect of the strange, strange world in which we live. Now, for the first time on the air, here is Night Has a Thousand Eyes, starring Edward G. Robinson as John Triton, with William Demarest as Lieutenant Sean. <laughs> In the drawing room of a fine suburban home, a young man named Carson reads a strange manuscript while the company listens gravely and silently. My dear Carson, as you read this manuscript, I will be dead. No one is to blame. My death was as certain as all the other strange events I foresaw. Some of you who have seen me die will doubt this story. And dismiss it as a series of contrived events and coincidences. But you, Carson, and some of the others will know that there are things on Earth still hidden from us, still secret and unfathomable. I suppose most men can look back and see the exact point where destiny touched them. My destiny came upon me on the night of August 3rd, 1929. I was billed as Triton, the mental wizard, like most mind-reading acts, it was a phony, but a first-class phony. Jenny, my lovely fiancé, had collected all the questions from the audience, and my good friend Whitney Cortland was ready for a spark at the piano. Now, ladies and gentlemen, where I stand, I shall endeavor to read the questions which you have written and which are now unopened, mind you, in that glass bowl. Now, if I may have a little quiet music, Mr. Cortland. Let me see... I sense a name, lady's name, Brian, no, by, Byer, that's it, Byers, uh, Clara Byers. Miss Byers asked a question. She wishes to know, she, uh, she, something's wrong. There are disruptive impulses coming from the audience. A woman in a white dress, a little boy, uh, uh, madam, uh, you there in the third row. Your little boy's in great danger. You must go home at once. At once! Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll continue where we left off. If I may have some quiet music, Mr. Cortland. The incident disturbed me. But then I forgot about it entirely until late that night when the telephone rang in my room. It was the woman calling to tell me that she had come home to find the boy's room in flames. She had arrived just in time to save the child's life. And I was worried, deeply worried, although not yet frightened. There were other incidents, one of them brought on by Courtney's usual concern about our economic situation. Well, kids, it's the same old story. Broke again. We could stand a little ready cash. Matter of fact, I'm going to put our last ten spot on ready cash in the fifth at Green Meadows. Ready cash? No, no, uh, not ready cash. He'll fall and have to be destroyed. Fair Gint. Fair Gint by two lengths. Ready cash fell and had to be destroyed. Fair Gint won by two lengths. 
It occurred to me that we might make fortunes this way. I didn't want to. It scared me. I began having a crazy feeling that by telling them, I was making the things come true. I began to wonder, would anything have happened if I had kept quiet? And then one dismal rainy day, I had my chance to find out. I was coming out of the theater. A little boy recognized me and asked me for an autograph. And then he turned to skip away. Wait, son! I'd, I'd had a vision of a car skidding on me, slick pavement. A wild cry. And then I thought, no, perhaps if I keep it to myself, it won't happen. Uh-oh, not, nothing, son. <laughs> Just run along now, run along. He went. A moment later... death, I knew I could foresee these events, but I was powerless to prevent their coming true. Look, Johnny, I just met a big oil man down in the lobby who wants us to come in on this, uh, this Comanche Hills oil field. Well, so what? Well, do you suppose you could get a hunch on a sporting proposition like that? Might make us a lot of money. Oh, no, no, it's no good, Court. We are washed up on hunches. Why, Johnny? Well, because I'm scared, Johnny, plain scared. I haven't had a very good feeling about it myself, Johnny. Well, all right. We'd better get down to the theater then and earn it the hard way. Curtain in 20 minutes. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, if you will all please concentrate on the sealed questions you have addressed to me, please. Uh, a little quiet music, Mr. Cortland. I'm concentrating on a particular envelope. Uh, young lady's handwriting. She, the young lady. The lady, uh... I looked at Jenny. Stared at Jenny. So beautiful, so... So fragile and desirable and so much to me. I saw her and something else. Johnny. Bring down the curtain. Johnny, what's the matter? Bring down the curtain, I tell you. Bring down the curtain! <laughs> sure you feel better now, Johnny? Oh, sure, Jenny. I, I, I just felt a little dizzy out there. You sure had us worried there for a while. Hmm. Oh, Court. Yeah? Had a sort of a minor hunch about that uh, Comanche Hills oil proposition. Be one of the richest oil pools in the country. Makes us all rich. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Johnny. Uh, now let's go out and eat. No, uh, you and Jenny go ahead. I'll join you later. What I'd seen that night on the stage had been Jenny's death. If I stayed, we'd be married and there'd be a child. The child would live, but Jenny wouldn't. I had to go away to save Jenny's life and save my own sanity. I knew Cortland would take care of Jenny and Comanche Hills Oil would take care of both of them. Yes, but I knew I had to get away from people, especially the people I loved. I went away. 
year later, I heard that Jenny had married Cortland. She died, and her daughter Jean was born. I read about it in Variety. For 20 years, I lived almost a hermit's life, and had no more visions. This gift or the curse seemed to wither it from this use. And then after 20 years, on the night of Jean's debut, I stood outside in the crowd and I watched her go inside the fine hotel, holding tight to Court's arm. Jenny's daughter was lovely. And I was proud. I watched them disappear inside. And, and after 20 years of peace... It happened. For a moment, I saw the image of wreckage. The smoking wreckage of an airplane. And then it was gone. What did it mean this time? But nothing happened. And I forgot about it completely for three months. And one day in my shop, I turned on a small radio. I just... Prepared. Now the 1155 news brought by your Comanche oil reporter. New York, flying his converted army bomber, Whitney Cortland, multimillionaire president of Comanche oil, took off from LaGuardia Airport early today in an attempt to smash the east-west transcontinental record. He and his pilot, former army flyer Richard Sanders... No! It was Warren Jean. I'm sorry to force my way in here, but I have an extremely important message for your father. I'm sorry, but my father isn't here now. Uh, see here, old man, I'm Miss Cortland's fiance. Miss Cortland. Well, you've got to reach your father when he lands in Wichita to refuel. But why? You must halt the flight. Halt the flight? That's absurd. Why should father give up his flight? But if flight? he doesn't, this plane will crash. How do you know that? Oh, Miss Cortland, please, you're, you're wasting priceless time. All right, I'll call. But I'll ask you a lot of questions afterwards. I want to talk to Wichita, Kansas Airport. I haven't the number. Do you make a practice of predicting plane crashes? Oh, no. I'll wait, thank you. Maybe just the planes of very rich oh, men. Please. Perhaps you're betting that he doesn't beat the record. Hello. Hello, this is Whitney Cortland's daughter. When my father lands, have him call me immediately, will you? had it a few minutes later. In an hour, the extras were on the street. The Comanche angel had crashed in Kansas. Both men were dead. You've been very kind helping me over these past few days, Mr. Triton. I'm so grateful. Your father was my best friend. But if you'd only warned us sooner, if... If you'd only known sooner. I don't think it would have made any difference. Mr. Triton, what's wrong? You have a new maid. Why, yes, why? You have a emerald bracelet. Yes. Get rid of the maid before the bracelet. Before. What? 
please, uh, tell me. Jean, it doesn't matter now. Why doesn't it matter? You mean, not to me. You mean, I won't need the bracelet. You... You mean, I'm going to die too? Tell me! Theater is presenting the Screen Directors Guild production of Night Has a Thousand Eyes, starring Edward G. Robinson with William Demarest and introducing the director of the film, John Farrell. Carson, you went to the police. They told you, yes, there had been a John Triton mental wizard who pretended to be able to predict things back in the 20s. They sent a certain Detective Lieutenant Sean to investigate me where I was staying in Jean's house. My first interview with Sean in my little room under the eaves, far from reassure the good lieutenant, for even as I answered his bit of questions, the veil lifted again. And I saw. I saw. Hey, Triton. Come out of it. Hey. I... I see a flower. Ah, drop it, Triton. Cut. A flower. Crushed and broken. I hear a sudden wind shaking the windows. I hear a voice saying, there's no danger now. And I see her. Who? Jean. Lying under the stars. And beside her, the paws and talons of a... of a lion. A lion under the stars. Did you find out what time this happens to uh, to Miss Cortland? Tonight, as the clock strikes eleven. <laughs> Lieutenant Sean was all for arresting me at once. The rest of you were tolerantly skeptical, which saved me for a while. Downstairs with Jean and you, Carson, were two gentlemen, a Mr. Gilman. Mr. Gilman, president of Mid-Tide Oil. Good evening, Mr. Triton. And a Mr. Myers, attorney for Cortland's estate. How do you do, Mr. Triton? Together, we sat down for the next two hours. Our lives were geared to the relentless machinery of the grandfather's clock that ticked away near the curtained archway. Frankly, I think this is ridiculous. 
Sitting around like this when we should be looking for a packet of missing options? I'm sure I'll find them, Mr. Myers. They'll be worth us in 36 hours. Are you sure you can't remember where your father put those options? Please, Mr. Gilman. I'm much too upset. Well, the mid-tide merger can't go through without them. I suggest Gene be permitted to forget about big business while we all concentrate on... on... the clock, Mr. Carson. Shut up, Brighton. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One down and one more hour to go. And so far nothing has materialized in your weird chain of events. The crushed flower indeed, a lion, a sudden wind. Anyone interested in the ten o'clock news? Here. Personally, I'm interested in the 11 o'clock news. Which was upset in a collision tonight at Wilshire and Sepulveda. The lion escaped when a trailer... Lion. Turn that off. Lion? Lock the doors. Lock the windows. Put out some light. I'll lock up and go through the whole house. Thanks, Gilman. Well, there's the lion. We haven't heard a wind. Or seen a crushed flower. Or heard anyone say... Don't say it. Sorry. Hey, those carnations in that vase. Get them out. Donations? Get them out. I don't believe any of this, but I'm taking no chance. I'll give them a chance. Stand back. Don't anybody move. <sighs> Not a one crushed. <sighs> that was a close one. Mr. Myers, huh? there's something sticking out under your foot. Something? Huh? Lord. A carnation. Crushed and broken. That does it, Triton. No, not quite. Nothing final can happen until 11 o'clock. And it ain't going to happen because you're around. I'm taking you downtown until after 11. All right, Lieutenant, but it won't do any good. I'll be back at 11. Stand still, Triton. Relax. Yes, but I tell you, Sean, if you let me return to Jean's house, there's a chance I can use this power of mine to save her. You put on a good show, Triton. Only I ain't buying. Now, listen. You have a man on the cell here. His name is Amos Block. I see him in the cell now. A suicide. You don't say. Well, there's one I can check on. Hello. Quinn? Sean. How's Block doing? Uh-huh. Thanks. In his cell, playing solitaire. Well, nevertheless, I see him in his... Now I'm going to leave you with the boys here and go back to Miss Cortland's. Be good, huh? Fifteen minutes, too, Jim. Yes. Yeah, everything is under control. It's uh, very copacetic. Ah! Oh, dear. Close that French window. Close it. I'll close it, Lieutenant. I thought Gilman took care of that. Where is Gilman, by the way? There. That does it all right. Sudden wind. Yeah. Ah! I'll get it. Yeah? Oh, yeah, Quinn? No. Amos Block hung himself in his cell, but he can't do that. That's suicide. Hey, look, 
I want Triton here before it strikes 11. I don't care how, but get him here. What time is it? Uh, 10.47. Oh, Lord, you made the night too long. Just one more minute to go, darling. 45 seconds. Mr. Myers. Well, folks, you can get the lion. I just killed it over at Destron Hospital. Oh, thank goodness. This is it. Eleven o'clock. Elliot. Yeah? Back to back with me. Miss Cortland, get between us. Don't anybody move. I'll shoot the man who does. Nothing's happened. Oh, Elliot. Elliot, darling. It's all history now, dear. Forget it. Elliot. Hmm? I'm, I'm going outside. I'll go with you. No. I want to get used to standing out under the stars again. Alone. And not being afraid. Thank you, dear. Thank you so much. All of you. I'll say this for Triton. He sure called his shots except that voice saying, there's no danger now. You just said it. Yeah, but it's too late now to mean anything. Ain't it? Sure. Come in, Professor, come in. Where is she? Where's Miss Cortland? Outside. You let her go outside? It's after 11. No, it's not. Look at that clock. That clock is wrong. It was right. Well, then it's been tampered with. I've got to go to her. Stop, Triton. Haul her out, shoot. It's too late for that after him. He mustn't get near Gene. Troubles are over now. There's no danger now. Eleven o'clock. And the voice saying, there's no danger. <gasps> he must have met you. No, oh, you don't. No, please. Gilman. Let go of her. Let go of her, you fool. Hey, son. Right. Get him. Plug them. But good. Gene, Gene, are you all right? Oh, Elliot. It's all right, Gene. You're safe now. Triton's dead. Triton? Dead? But it was Gilman who tried to kill me. Gilman. He didn't want those options found. But I didn't think he'd resort to murder. Oh, poor Mr. Gilman. He died to save me. But are you all right? My throat hurts. Elliot. Hmm? Look, 
Mr. Triton. He's, he's resting against the foot of that... That marble lion. Marble lion. Of course. And that, Carson, ends this dark diary. I foresaw everything, even my own death. And tonight at headquarters, I finished this diary. I left it in my pocket for you to find. Only time and the expanding wisdom of mankind will confirm the story in years to come. For there are reaches of the mind still undreamed of. There are many mysteries of time and space and spirit to be shown to us. The stars look down. The night has a thousand eyes to search the soul of man and see if he's equal to his fathomless tomorrows. Where there are yet more things in heaven and earth than are dreamed of in our philosophy. In a moment, we'll return with our stars. Next week, the NBC Theater brings you another first in radio, a full-hour production of director Billy Wilder's great Paramount film comedy, A Foreign Affair. And starring in this hour-long drama will be Rosalind Russell, Marlena Dietrich, and John Lund. And now, here again are tonight's stars, Edward G. Robinson and William Demarest, and screen director John Farrell. John, it's been great fun for Bill and me, slipping back into character for our parts. Tonight has a thousand eyes. Well, I just hope Bill here doesn't start having one of his visions again. What, you mean uh, cool, solid Bill Demarest is in tune with the supernatural? He thought he was. Now, now, wait a minute. I know what you're talking about. And I really did have a vision. Yeah? I was standing talking to Johnny on the set, and suddenly I knew one of the camera booms was swinging around behind us. What happened? He yelled, Johnny, fall on your face. Well, did you get hurt? My nose was almost broken. By the camera boom? No, by falling on my face. <laughs> there wasn't a camera within 50 yards. <laughs> well, I had a vision. Uh, we don't have to be visionaries, John, to know that your direction inspired Bill and myself and everyone else connected with the picture. You did a great job. Check, Eddie. That goes for me, too. Thanks very much. But suddenly I seem to be getting a vision myself. What do you see? I see us being cut off the air if we don't say good night. <laughs> good night, everyone. Good, good night, night, folks. And good night to you, Edward G. Robinson, William Demarest, and John Farrell. <laughs> night Has a Thousand Eyes was adapted by Milton Geiger from an original story by Cornell Walry. Music was by Henry Russell. Production was supervised by Howard Wiley. Associate producer, Bill Carr. Your announcer has been Frank Barton. Night Has a Thousand Eyes was presented through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, currently releasing My One True Love, starring Phyllis Calvert, Melvin Douglas, and Wanda Hendricks. Edward G. Robinson is currently making the 20th Century Fox production, The House of Strangers. William Demarest may be seen in Paramount's Technicolor production, Whispering Smith. Listen again next week for the NBC Theater's full-hour presentation of... Screen Directors Guild Assignment, production of Foreign Affair, director Billy Wilder, stars Rosalind Russell, Marlena Dietrich, John Lund... The Screen Directors Guild program came to you from Hollywood. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
again, this is your other announcer. <laughs> uh, you know, when I first heard of that uh, show, I thought it was gonna I thought it was gonna be a romance before I listened to it because you had that um, old song back in the sixties, "Night Has a Thousand Eyes," and I just knew it was gonna be a romance, probably about some guy finding out his girl or his wife was cheating <laughs> but that was far from it <laughs> did you hear the mistake that the female casts actually made at the end i don't know if i did i might have been away i don't think it was a she actually said that gilman died not triton oh yeah she yeah i don't know if that was a mistake or what But uh, not sure. Yeah. <laughs> um. But uh, anyway, um, let's see. We've got two more, right? We got lots more. <laughs> lots more. Yeah. We've got the saint. We got Sam Spade. We got the cherry on top. Got what? What else? I mean, the strawberry on top. What else have we got there? I the sealed. Oh, yes. Yes. That is one of my favorites. That's why I had to make sure that one got in there uh, this time. And I'd, I'd forgotten that I chose it. Uh, which one did I pick? Mr. Guru. Accusing Corpse. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so here we go. <laughs> The Sealed Book. Once again, the keeper of the book has opened the ponderous door to the secret vault, wherein is kept the great sealed book, in which is recorded all the secrets and mysteries of mankind through the ages. Here are tales of every kind, tales of murder, of madness, of dark deeds, strange and terrible beyond all belief. Keeper of the book, I would know what tale we tell this time. Open the great book and let us read. Slowly, the great book opens. One by one, the keeper of the book turns the pages and stops. Ah, the strange story of a man who would stop at nothing to accomplish his ends. A tale called The Accusing Corpse.
Here is the tale, the accusing corpse, as it is written in the pages of the sealed book. Philip Drake, the wealthy stockbroker, is pacing nervously back and forth in the drawing room of his country mansion. His face becomes pale as Vivian, his wife, enters the drawing room, a suitcase in one hand. I'm all packed and ready to leave. I do hope Vivian, that how you... can you do this to me? You know I love you, that I do anything to make you oh, happy. Philip, let's not go over that again. Oh, please, darling, don't leave. At least not until your brother Roger's arrived and had a chance to talk to you. He'll be here any minute. Oh, nothing that righteous brother of mine can say will change my mind. Now, would you mind lending me your car to get down? Vivian, if you leave me, you won't get a cent. Not a cent, you hear? Really? ever stop to think, Philip, that there might be another man, one with more money than you? Another man? Oh, no, Vivian, there couldn't be. And why not? But we've only been married three months. Why, there couldn't have been anybody in that time. But there was. Oh, Vivian, you can't do this to me. I love you, I love you, I won't let you go. I really must be saying goodbye now. He's waiting for me in town. I don't want to be late. If I can't have you, no one else will, do you hear? Oh, really? You're being ridiculous. I must go now. No! Philip, what are you... A gun. Yes, Vivian. A gun. I told you if I couldn't have you, no one else would, and I mean it. Even with that gun, you can't keep me, do you hear? I'd sooner die than go on living with you. I'm going, and you're not going... Vivian. Philip, what happened? I thought I heard... Vivian. I didn't mean to do it. She was going to leave me. Vivian. Roger. Is she dead? Yes. Philip. Do you know what this may mean? Life imprisonment, perhaps even the electric chair? Yes, I know. I lost control of myself. Nothing seems to matter now. You... You simply can't throw your life away like that. Even if Vivian was my sister. I don't mind telling you that I always felt you were far too good for her. She didn't deserve to be your wife. Oh, please, Roger. Look, if we were to get rid of the body, who could possibly know that she didn't leave here tonight as she'd planned? No, no. It wouldn't work, Roger. You can't get away with murder. That's nonsense, Philip. Now, if we were to bury her in the woods... No one would ever find her body. Bury her in the woods. I couldn't do that. Philip, you must let me handle this. Oh, and you better give me that gun. All right, Roger. Here you are. Good. Now you wait here. I'm going to get rid of the body. This is quite far enough. I'm afraid I'll have to bury you now, my dear Vivian. <laughs> Put me down, Roger. I'm tired of being carried like a sack of potatoes. All right. There. Oh, and let me congratulate you on your performance as a corpse as I carried you out. Roger, do you think he suspects anything? Of course he doesn't. He's positive that he shot and killed you. 
It was very clever the way you taught him into doing it. You've got the gun, haven't you? Certainly I've got it. You don't think I was going to let him discover that the bullets have been removed and blank cartridges substituted, did you? No, not you, Roger. You always know what you're doing. <laughs> it was a lucky day when you met me. <laughs> Look, now here's the key to the apartment I rented in town. You'll find my car a quarter of a mile down the road. All right. I'll be waiting for you at the apartment. I'll be there in a few hours. Hmm. Well, now let's see. This seems like a nice place to dig. The next morning, Roger called on Philip at his office. And finding Philip very nervous, reassured him that he had hidden poor Vivian's grave carefully. When Philip expressed his gratitude for Roger's help, Roger suggested that Philip could do him a favor in return by lending him $20,000 to swing a business deal. Philip was startled, but after a moment's hesitation, wrote out a check. As he wrote it, Roger smiled. Things were working out just as he'd planned. Well, what does this look like? Oh, <laughs> darling, that's wonderful. Now we can clear out it. What? Roger, there isn't a hundred thousand here. Why, no, dear. <laughs> I only got twenty thousand from him. But we were after a hundred thousand. Why didn't you get it all this morning when you saw him? My dear Vivian, it simply isn't done that way. Blackmail is an art. An art that calls for the use of psychology. But... Philip will give us many times over the money I hold in my hand. All in due time, of course. Do you mean I'll have to go on hiding in this miserable apartment until you've finished your little game with him? Never being able to leave it for fear someone will recognize me? Oh, come now. You've got the radio, books, and... Well, I won't spend weeks in this apartment, I tell you. I, I won't. Oh, my arm. You... you will do exactly as I say, Vivian. Exactly. Do you understand? Roger... It's nothing to what I will do if you disobey me. Do I make myself clear? Oh, yes. Yes, I'll do whatever you say.
Now to continue the story, as it is written in the sealed book. A week passed. A week in which Roger patiently bided his time. What time he knew was working on his side against Philip. Then one morning he called on Philip at his office. Ah, good morning, Philip. How are you? How do you expect me to be? This past week I've been able to think of nothing but Vivian. What happened that night? Philip, you must stop brooding over it. Whatever happened was her fault, not yours. Yes, you're right. Perhaps what I need is a vacation. Of course. A trip would do you a world of good. And if I could afford it, I'd go along with you. You mean you haven't any money? I'm afraid not, Philip. That's what I've come to see you about. I must have um, $40,000 at once. 40000 Yes. If I don't get the 40000 it may mean prison for me. You wouldn't want to see that happen, would you? No, of course not. After all, Philip, I saved you from prison. In fact, I made myself an accomplice to Vivian's murder by not turning you over to the police. Yes, I know, but... You could hardly expect me to remain loyal to you if you weren't willing to help me, could you? I see. Seems I haven't any choice. Very well, Roger. I'll write you out a check. this, Vivian? $40,000 in cash. Oh, darling. Uh, wasn't this worth staying and hiding for? And there's plenty more where this came from. Oh, who could that be? You better get behind that screen. Yeah, all right, Roger. Yes? COD for Miss Brown. Comes to $64. Hey, you must be mistaken. There's no Miss Brown here. Well, this is the address she gave. Sincero, Mr. Roger Martinson. That's your name? Oh, yes, but I don't... Those packages are for me, Roger. Uh, How much did you say the COD was? Uh, $64, miss. Here you are. Thank you, miss. Here's your receipt. Bye. Bye. When did you buy those clothes? This morning. You mean you went out shopping in spite of what I told you? Well, I was sick of being cooped up in this apartment day and night. I, I had to do something for a change. And what of my plans? You risked everything with so much at stake. Roger, Roger, stop looking at me like that. I I tell you, I couldn't stand being cooped up in this apartment any longer. And if you don't get the rest of the money at once so that we can clear out, I'll go shopping whenever I feel like it. You can't make... You'll do exactly as I say. I won't allow anything or anyone to interfere with my plans. I've worked every step out perfectly, and there isn't going to be any slip-up. Another week passed. A week in which Roger made no effort to see Philip. Then early one evening, he got into his car and drove out of the city to Philip's home in the country. Oh, it's you, Roger. Uh, come in. Uh, good evening, Philip. Uh, where are the servants? This is a night off. You're not looking well at all, Philip. You shouldn't remain in this big house by yourself. What difference does it make where I am? 
Wherever I go, the memories of that night follow. It's hard to believe that it was only two weeks ago tonight that I killed her. Two weeks ago tonight? Why, so it was. Uh, by the way, Philip, do you think you might possibly lend me $60,000? Sixty? Well, you can't be serious. Oh, but I am. But I've lent you that much already. Yes, I know, but I must have more. No. I won't give you another cent. You've blackmailed me enough. Blackmail is a harsh word, Philip. What else would you call it? You're just as hard and grasping as Vivian was. Oh, yes, but you must remember I'm alive and she isn't. I suppose you're glad she's dead. In life, she was worth nothing to you. In death, you were able to get $60,000 for her. In death? How do I know she is dead? Don't be foolish, Philip. You shot her yourself. Yes, but how do I know she was dead? It was you who examined her, you who told me so, and you who buried her body all by yourself. I just wanted to spare you, Philip. Just exactly where did you bury Vivian? As a matter of fact, how do I know the whole affair wasn't staged for my special benefit? You're quite capable of such a scheme. I tell you she's dead, Philip, and buried out in the woods. And I want to see the grave. And the body you say is in it. This is ridiculous. I won't go searching for a grave in the middle of the night. You shouldn't have to search for it, Roger. Not if you really dug one. Come along. I won't do it. Why, this is I said all... come along, Roger. Oh, very well. But I'm not certain I'll be able to find the grave. After all, the woods is fairly large, and it's been two weeks since I buried her. Quite all right, Roger. We'll stay out there until you do find her. someplace around here. I'm certain of it, but perhaps we ought to come back in the daytime. It might be easier to find it then. I know, Roger. You shouldn't have any trouble finding it now, if it exists. It does exist, I tell you. It's it's just that the woods are so confusing at night. Everything looks so different. Just keep on searching, Roger. Uh, well, perhaps this is the spot. It, it looks something like it. There's only one way to make certain, and that's to start digging. Here's a shovel. Start digging. Very well, Philip, if you insist. Well, Roger, you've been digging for 20 minutes now, and you haven't uncovered a body. You're a great actor. But I'm afraid this time you've overplayed your role. What do you mean? Vivian isn't dead. And there's no use pretending she is. Everything that's happened was part of a scheme the two of you planned to extort money from me. I tell you she's dead, Philip. And where's the body? I thought this was the spot, but I must be mistaken. I'm sure I didn't bury her any deeper than this, but... Philip. Turn the flashlight this way. What is it? Look. You see what I've uncovered? A hand. Yes. This is the spot where I buried her. Just a few more shovels full. I'll have her body uncovered. Vivian. No. No, it can't be. But it is Vivian. Look, Philip. Here's the bullet hole under her heart. The bullet hole you made. I don't want to see it anymore. I've seen enough. You should trust me a little more, Philip. Everything I did was for your own good. 
After all, you don't want to go to the electric chair, do you? I don't care what happens anymore. I can't stand having her death on my conscience any longer. I'm going to call the police. Don't be a fool, Philip. You know it can mean the electric chair. I'll take my chances. Anything's better than going on living the way I have these past two weeks. I'm going back to the house and call the police. Philip, come back! Philip! to continue the story as it is written in the sealed book. After Philip and Roger had dug up Vivian's body with the bullet hole through the heart, Philip decided that the only thing left for him was to call the police and confess. So in spite of Roger's protests, he rushed back to the house. Operator. Operator, Philip, wait. Don't do anything foolish. You cut me off. Take your hand off the phone, Roger. All I want you to do is to listen to me for a few minutes. Then if you still want to call the police, you can. Now, please, put the receiver down, Philip. That's it. What do you want to tell me? Well, do you mind if I mix myself a drink first? It's been a rather difficult evening. Very well. Uh, what about one for you? You look as though you could stand a drink. No, thank you. Nonsense. Now, it'll do you good. What is it you want to say to me, Roger? Say to you? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, oh, here's your drink. Thank you. Well, what shall we drink to? We'll drink to your good luck, come what may. Ah. Ah, there, I feel a good deal better. All right, now we've had a drink. What have you got to say? Oh, oh, yes. Uh, what I wanted to say was, I never let anything interfere with my plans, Philip. I can't allow you to go to the police, and therefore you shan't. It would spoil my plans. It would, would it? But I'd like to see you stop me. I have, Philip. In a very little while, in fact, in just a few seconds, you'll be dead. Dead? What do you say? Yes, Philip. The drink I mixed you was poisoned. Aren't you finding that it's becoming difficult to breathe? No. 
You couldn't have. My throat. It burns. Yes, I know. But it'll all be over in a matter of seconds. Now I see it all. You... You murdered her. Yes, Philip. Just a week ago tonight, she died according to plan. I call the police. I tell them that... I'm afraid you haven't the strength left to reach the phone, Philip. I will... I... You and Vivian never had a chance, Philip. I had things worked out perfectly, down to the smallest detail. Hello, operator. Operator, please connect me with the police. Oh, Inspector, I've finished the examination of the body of Vivian Drake and her husband, Philip. Okay, Doc. Oh, this is uh, Roger Martinson. Mr. Martinson, this is Dr. Smith, the county coroner. How do you do, Mr. Oh, hello. I'll be with you in a few minutes, Doc. Just stay here. All right, Inspector. Now, Mr. Martinson, uh, you were telling me how you came to this house two weeks ago tonight to see your sister and found she was gone. Yes. My brother-in-law, Philip, told me that she had gone on a vacation. I thought it strange at the time that she should have gone away without saying goodbye to me, as we were always very close. Then days passed and I didn't hear from her. Was it like your sister to go away and not write? No, and that's what worried me so. The past two weeks, Philip kept putting me off when I inquired about Vivian's whereabouts. Tonight I couldn't stand it any longer, and I came to this house to have it out with him. Well, what did your brother-in-law say when he saw you? He was um, well, quite agitated at my unexpected arrival. When I threatened to go to the police, he broke down and confessed to having murdered Vivian. When had he murdered him? He told me he'd done it two weeks ago tonight. That was the very night I'd come here to see Vivian, and he told me that she'd left for a vacation. I see. Go on. Naturally, when he told me he'd murdered her, I, I was aghast. He led me to the woods and showed me the grave. We returned to the house, and before I could stop him, Philip had taken poison. I then called the police. Well, seems like a plain case of murder and suicide to me. Right, Doc? Perhaps, but Mr. Martinson, I was very much interested in what you had to say regarding the murder of your sister. You say that your brother-in-law confessed to murdering her two weeks ago tonight. Uh, yes, that's correct. And you never saw her alive after that night? Oh, why, no, of course not. What are you getting at, Doc? Please, Inspector. Mr. Martinson, would you mind telling me where you live? Why, at 425 West 106th Street. Tell me, were some clothes delivered to that address in your care one week ago today? Clothes? Yes, to be exact, a woman's sports suit, which cost $64 and arrived COD. Why, no. You're lying, Mr. Martinson. I have in my hand a slip of paper that not only proves that you're lying, but it'll send you to the electric chair. Doc, what are you saying? Yes, Inspector. Mr. Martinson's plan was perfect, but he slipped up badly. He forgot to search Vivian Drake's clothing before he buried her. When I examined her body just now, I found in one of her pockets this preceded bill, bearing the date April 9th. That proves beyond a doubt that she was alive one week ago. And consequently, couldn't have been murdered by her husband on April 2nd, as Mr. Martinson here claims. I know. Yes, Mr. Martinson. It was you who killed her. The corpse has accused you from the grave of murder and has given us proof of your guilt. No, it can't be. I had everything planned perfectly. Perfectly, do you hear? Down to the last detail. I couldn't have failed. I couldn't. 
that Roger Martinson had failed. And all because of a mere sales slip that was found in a corpse's pocket. A dated sales slip that gave the lie to his testimony and sent him to the electric chair. For murder is always without, though it takes the dead themselves to tell of it. And now, Keeper of the Book, before you close the great book, show us the tale we tell next time. This one? Ah, yes. An incredible story about a young married couple who bought an old New England colonial house. A house that was cursed. Cursed with the evil spirit of a dead woman. A tale called... Stranger in the house. Be sure to be with us again next time when the sound of the great gong heralds another strange and exciting tale from... The Sealed Book. The Sealed Book, written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan, is produced and directed by Jock McGregor. I you know, huh? I have completely... <clears throat> I forgot how much I hate organs. <laughs> yeah. They used to freak me out. They don't anymore, but that's another story. Uh, really? Yeah. But uh, I love that program, but I hate that they've got so many long organ interludes in it. Yes. But it's 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 still a favorite. Yeah, well, <laughs> okay. But, but, yeah, the organ... Maybe just for you, I'll cut that organ out. <laughs> oh, you, well, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> oh, um, but let's see. Now we've got Sam Spade and we've got the Saint before we get to the strawberry. I'm sorry? I said we've got the Saint and we have Sam Spade before we get to the Yes, you're right. Yeah. You're you're right. 
Yeah. So which like do been, you want to do first? Seems like I've been right several times today. Yes, you have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that might not be so tomorrow, but how about the saint? I like the saint because it stars Vincent Price, and I love Vincent Price. Um, I have to say that I like the inner sanctum better than the saint, but I do like the saint, and and I and I love Vincent Price. So, uh, what's the name of the one that we've got for today? The case of the blonde who lost her head, also known as the uh, let me see. Amnesia killer. You know, I've lost my head a time or two. I have too. <laughs> anyway, let's let's give it a listen. Adventures of the Saint, starring Vincent Price. The Saint, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris, and known to millions from books, magazines, and motion pictures. The Robin Hood of modern crime now comes to radio, starring Hollywood's brilliant and talented actor Vincent Price as The Saint. Taxi! Taxi! Uh, 4500 Sutter, please. It's uh, kind of light, ain't it? Yes, it is. Uh, uh, comes this time of night, I figure a guy should uh, order... 4500 uh... Sutter, please. Yeah. Mind you, I uh, I don't like to get personal. You Driver. Know, but, uh, yeah? Of all the cabs in San Francisco, most of them operated by drivers who mind their own business. Why did I have to get your cab? Well, I like... Who are you going to see at 4,500? My name is Simon Templer. I'm six foot one inches tall, and I have a birthmark on my right shoulder blade. My income for last That's year was... That's all right. Evading the question, huh? I give up. I'm going to visit a man named Clarence Quigley. Clarence Quigley? Clarence Quigley. Uh, uh, uh you're going to see this uh, alleged Clarence Quigley look, about... Look, he's got a collection of paintings. I like to look at paintings. Maybe that would seem odd to you, but... Oh, come, come now. No temper now. If I was your wife, you'd have to do better than that, you know. Oh. So how much do I owe you? And go away. Would you think I was soaking you if I suggested three bucks? I would. As uh, one man of the world to another, let's uh, make it three bucks anyway. Let's just be yokels and make it 50 cents. Here you are. Well, I... Hey... Hey, is that blonde giving you the eye of me? Blonde? Yeah, the one coming down the street towards us. Oh, yeah. Best, uh, best foot forward. I never saw her before in my life. Eldorist, dear. Oh, Eldorist, dear. Uh, I beg your pardon, but that's my neck you've got your arms around, Miss... Uh... A man named Clarence Quigley, huh? Driver, stop heckling. Look, Miss, whatever your name is, the way you're strangling me is a pleasant way to be strangled, oh, but... Uh... Sounds so cold. I'm not Ellsworth, dear. I think I can honestly say I have never been Ellsworth, dear. You're not? No. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were. Or maybe I just hoped you were. Uh, don't you know Ellsworth, dear, when you see him? No, I 
Don't, I guess. But, uh... I saw you, and then the name came to me, so I thought... Uh, who is Ellsworth? I don't know. Well, I suppose a certain amount of confusion about uh, who or what Ellsworth is is understandable, but... that but... isn't the worst. It isn't? No, you... See, not only don't I know who Ellsworth is, but... Yes? I don't even know who I am. I want to know in a general sort of way is uh, how Mr. Clarence Quigley is going to feel. Driver, would you mind concentrating on your driving? Uh, you know, he's liable to be frustrated, like uh, I'm taking you and the lady right back to where you started. My apartment, yes, because Miss, uh, Miss X needs help. Oh, I feel as though I'm imposing on you, Mr. Kemp. Nonsense. The hour's late. You couldn't very well go wandering about the streets indefinitely. Especially in that hat. Anything wrong with my head? Not a thing. No, it's very charming and immaculate. Also, it resembles a bird's home away from home. Well, mister, we have returned from where we went away. Good. Miss X? Thank you. You're going to keep on being a yokel, huh? Here. Mm Mm-hmm. This time only half a yokel. Well, goodbye. You know where I'm going? No. I'm going to lurk outside of Clarence Quigley. I think tonight he's a fellow who needs a friend. I need one, too. Oh, come along now. There you go. Now, take your hat off and make yourself comfortable. All right. Oh, I'm so afraid. Oh, Lost. quiet now. Let's take a look at your back. Here. Mm-hmm. Usual odds and ends. And a compact. Initial. DM. DM, does that suggest anything? DM? Hmm. No. No, it doesn't. Nothing means anything. All I remember is being outside an art gallery on Sutter. Hey, you're well-dressed. Compact's gold, no latchkey, which means you probably don't live alone, which could also mean you've been missed. Your phone is? Yes, the police. Missing Persons Bureau. They, uh, uh, hello? Oh, get me Inspector Murray, hmm? Thanks. I'll hold on. I hope maybe they know about you. Oh. What's the matter? Touch the back of my head. Terribly painful. Come here. Huh. Yeah, bruised the size of what I wished my bank account was. And there's the cause of your amnesia. Uh, hello, Inspector. Uh, Simon Templer. Hmm? Hmm? <laughs> Inspector, your language is deplorable. Inspector, I'm looking for someone, a blonde. Uh, Inspector, no. No. Well, maybe, but not tonight. At any rate, the girl I'm looking for is around 22 years old, blonde hair, blue eyes, height 5 foot 3 inches and thereabouts, wearing a street suit, brown, white blouse with ruffles at the neck and... What? Oh, oh you're looking for her, too. Her name's Dorothy Moore. Uh, why do you want her? Oh, I see. <laughs> I, I guess you've got priority. Goodbye. They want me. Yes, I think. Because I've been reported missing. Partially that. What else do they want me for? Murder. Now, here, now, try another cup of coffee. Dorothy, I, well, I guess we'll call you that unless we get evidence to the contrary. Dorothy Moore would fit the initials on your compact. What am I going to do? You stay here and wait for me. 
Where are you going? Well, from the information I've been able to get on the phone, your guardian, a man named Matthew Schreiber, was shot and killed earlier this evening. You disappeared. That's all the information in the public domain at the moment. I'm going to look for more. At my house? Yes. Or shouldn't you turn me over to the police? Oh, well, actually, I don't really know that you are Dorothy Moore. I'd like to know a little more about the murder itself before coming to any decision. You mean you want to help me? Yes. And I need help, so because... You see, what's so terrible about it all is that... I don't remember anything at all, so... I can't even say I didn't murder anyone. <laughs> fun making you. Goodbye. Now, wait a minute. Don't shut the door. Why not? I'm coming in. Oh. All right. I, uh, hate to seem prying, but, uh, who are you? Uh, Simon Templer. Yeah, an attractive name. Much more distinguished than mine. Oh, what's your name? Walters. Not the most glamorous name in the world, but I'm a butler, so I bear up. Good. Where is everybody? In the library. They're so well-bred. Oh, uh, who is in the library? Mrs. Atkins, the housekeeper, the Cassandra of our day. A gloomy lady prophesying disaster, hmm? Yes. And, of course, there's Mr. Tinsley. Mr. Tinsley? A strange fellow who spends a good deal of his time sitting on small horses and hitting a large ball with a long wooden stick. A polo player. Doesn't matter what you call it, it's no job for a grown man. Uh, what's his relationship to Miss Moore? Oh, let's not start prying, shall we? Expound. Well, to breach your confidence, he's engaged to marry Miss Moore. If and when she's found, and if she happens to be innocent of our guardian's assassination. Oh. Anyone else in the library? No, no, no. Mr. Schreiber, dear departed soul, is detained elsewhere at the morgue. He was shot in the library. Oh, that's a bad place to be shot. Usually fatal. Uh, suppose you take me to the library. Tell me, why did the police suspect Miss Moore? Because of me. You see, I told them that I heard shots in the house. I left my quarters on the gallop, ran towards the library. Just before I got there, the door opened and Miss Dorothy ran out. Ran down the hall and out the front door. Is that true? My dear Mr. Templer, if not, would I have told the police otherwise? I don't know. Sergeant, it isn't good form to suspect the butler. The library, sir. Okay. Mrs. Atkins, Mr. Tinsley, Mr. Templer. What do you want? I'm looking for Miss Moore. So, young man, are the police. Why? Her guardian was murdered. All his money goes to her, and she's disappeared. Perhaps she didn't murder Mrs. Schreiber. But you wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> Perhaps I did. I hated him. Perhaps Mr. Tinsley there did. Now, now look here. Isn't he priceless? Now, look here. Such a typical phrase. So typical, I wonder if he can really be so stupid. I love Dorothy, and... No uh... one has questioned that. But what is it about her that you love? The money she was to get when Mr. Shriver died? The money you wouldn't have got if you'd married Dorothy against Mr. Shriver's wishes? Mr. Shriver didn't approve of the marriage? He, uh... <laughs> Well, he hesitated about it, but uh, we were working on it. And then became impatient. Now, look here. There you have... I resent that. Good. It's now on record that you resent it. How about Walter? Walter? Yes, what motive would he have? What makes you think he has one? Oh, I'm the hopeful type. 
Walters is a man with a criminal past. Whether or not he got tired of his upright life here, I cannot say. But it wouldn't surprise you. What may surprise both of you, however, is an odd fact. Dorothy Moore is suffering from total amnesia. Amnesia? What do you mean? She remembers nothing of her past, herself, neither name nor habitation. How horrible. How convenient. Wait a minute. How do you know that? Why get around? Well, then you must know where she is. You've got to tell me. Mr. Tinsley is now being the ardent lover. I can't tell you. Why? Well, whoever shot Schreiber, there's very little doubt that Dorothy saw the killer, but Dorothy doesn't remember the killer, therefore, would have an urgent interest in getting hold of Dorothy before she did remember and making sure that she would never remember anything again. Well, uh, good night, you lovely people. Dorothy. Dorothy? Dorothy! Me again. Did you like the place so much the first time? Where's Dorothy? Miss Moore? Yes. Did she come back here? Back? From where? She was at my apartment. When I got there, she was gone. Well, she did come back here. She didn't ring. Let's find out. Tinsley and Mrs. Atkins still around? Mrs. Atkins has gone up to bed, I think. As for Mr. Tinsley, I imagine he's something to whiskey. Yeah, we'll find out. Uh, Tinsley, uh... What? Oh, it's you. Yes, where's Dorothy? You're the one who knows. I'm the one who knew. Did she come back here? I haven't seen her. Walters, where's Mrs. Atkins' room? This way, sir. Now, come along, Tinsley. I'd like both of you in sight. Sir, if you insist. Mrs. Atkins will not be pleased at having her sleep interrupted. I'm not pleased either. Uh, this is her room, sir. Oh, thanks. girl must be asleep. Well, then we must wake her up. Oh, she's a very sound sleeper. Well, then we'll go in and wake her. Oh. Wow. How do you like that? Mrs. Atkins. Strung up to a beam. Anyone got a knife? Yes. Yes. Here you are. Now, we'll cut the rope and get her down. The bed's over there. Uh-huh. Uh, that's that. Is she dead? She's dead. Poor old girl. Although, you know something? What? She must have killed the old man. Shriver, I mean. Then she committed suicide. In, in remorse, I mean. For heaven's sakes, Templar, stop playing with that rope. But this is a very interesting rope. Is it? Why? Because it proves, you see, that she didn't commit suicide. She was murdered. <laughs> Yes, Inspector Murray. I understand you don't think that Mrs. Atkins committed suicide. I know she didn't. Well, while the boys are playing with fingerprints and stuff, uh, would you mind explaining to a poor benighted member of the lower intellectual classes uh, 
I mean, uh, a cop like me. Oh, Murray, now stop pulling my leg. You're one of the brainiest men I know. Then why do you always beat me to a case? Oh, I'm prettier. Uh-huh. Now, about this alleged phony suicide. Well, take a look at the rope with which Mrs. Atkins is supposed to have hanged herself. Now, let's see. The rope was thrown over the beam there. Uh-huh. Oh. I'm afraid you're right, Templer. Yeah, it wasn't hard to spot. Her weight would have pulled the rope sharply down over the beam. The fibers of the rope, therefore, should have slanted upward. Uh, instead of which, they slant down, indicating that somebody put the rope around Mrs. Atkins' neck and then hauled her up. We were supposed to think that Mrs. Atkins committed suicide as a confession of guilt, which leaves us where? In the Schreiber home. I'm more interested in where the girl is. Dorothy Moore? Uh-huh. Why? Because I have... Hey, Mary. Look, coming through the door. Oh, I'm not sure. Simon. Oh, hello, Dorothy. I don't know exactly how I got here, but I don't recognize the place at all. Yet I should, shouldn't I? Yes, you should, Miss Moore, because this is where you live. But I'm afraid you're not going to stay very long. What? What do you mean? I'm placing you under arrest on suspicion of murder. You know, I love police headquarters. They're so romantic. Uh Uh-huh. Mary... How are you going to prove anything against that girl if she's suffering total amnesia? By proving that her amnesia is a fake. Oh, how? I have an alienist coming over here to look at one of our guests. I'll have him see Miss Moore, too. He's due any minute. I'll go get the girl now. <laughs> I wonder. The other door. Come in. Hello. Well, you're not Murray. I was supposed... Who are you? Doll, of course. What's the matter with you? What are you complaining about? Oh, but I'm not the oh, one... Oh, come, that... come. We've got to get to the bottom of these things, don't we? I suppose so. Now, when you were a little boy, what did you want most of all? To be a big boy. Mm-hmm. Are you afraid of the dark? No. No? You are not afraid because uh, you have little friends who come to you in the dark, perhaps, eh? No. Now, why are you afraid of the dark? Oh, it's a long, long story. And, uh... You know, um, you don't look at all well. Well, I don't feel so good either. No, you should see a doctor. Thank you, thank you. I think I will. <laughs> hey, goodbye. Oh, uh, Templar. Yeah, uh, your alienist was here, Murray, but he, he laughed. Alienist? Mm. Well, I just phoned him and told him not to come. The district attorney wouldn't hold the girl. Insufficient evidence and ballistics. Ran a paraffine test. No proof that she'd fired a gun. But uh, the man who was just in here, Dahl, I think his name was? Dahl? Uh-huh. He's not the alienist. He's the guy the alienist was coming to examine. He's nuts. Oh, dear. Well, I guess you're happy now that we can't hold the girl. No, no, because while you were holding her, things were safe. Now, Mary, let's go visit. Go visit where? The Schreiber house. A house where two people have died. A house very convenient for murder. Yes? Uh, Ah, it's no ours, Walters. We're coming in. Yes, sir. Dorothy's home? Yes, sir. She got here when? Ten minutes ago, perhaps. Well, we'll go to the library. Yes, sir. She got here ten minutes ago, and and then? She sat in this room for a few minutes, uh-huh. made a phone call, and went up to bed. She uh, 
Glad to phone you, Mr. Templer. I'll wake her up and get her down here. Uh, hold on, uh, Tinsley around? In the guest room, playing solitaire, I think. Get him down here, too. That I will, sir. And Walters. Yes? You come back, too. Sure. Having fun, Templer? I don't care very much for this stage of any case, but I... What are you doing with that telephone? Hiding it under the couch here. Are you being subtle again? Again? Oh, you flatter me. Uh, hello, Dorothy. Sorry to have had you wake. Oh, but I... I wasn't asleep. I was trying to remember. Uh, you will if you get the chance. Tinsley's here in the house, isn't he? Yes, he is. For heaven's sake, is a man never to get any peace? Uh, you know Inspector Murray, Mr. Tinsley? Oh, yes. The policeman. Oh, look, now get off your polo pony and... Where's Walters? By now, on his way to Canada, I imagine. Dorothy, get on the phone right away. The phone? Yes, mm-hmm. of course. Oh, well, there doesn't seem to be one in here. Perhaps in the next room. Why do you want me to phone? I don't. But you just did. Dorothy, didn't there used to be a phone in this room? I don't know. I don't remember. Oh, yes, yes, you amnesia. But you remember everything that happened since the blow on your head, don't you? Well, of course. But then equally, of course, since you were in this room a very little while ago, and since you you used a phone in here, you should have remembered that. Why didn't you? Well, I don't know. It slipped my mind. No, Dorothy, it didn't slip your mind. You were merely being over-careful. What does that mean? It means that you are not now nor ever were suffering from amnesia. Why should I pretend to have amnesia? Because you killed your uncle. You knew you'd need something to help you out in court, so you wandered about until you found someone on whom you could try out your amnesia. That happened to be me. You're just saying those things without proof. Besides, there was a paraffin test. It indicates merely that you wore gloves when you shot your uncle. It indicates I might have worn them if I'd shot him. You can't prove I did. I can prove your amnesia was phony, that along with some other things. How can you prove it? Very simple. Your hat. What? When you arrived at my apartment, you took your hat off, discovered a large bruise on the back of your head. That was to supply a plausible reason for your amnesia. But, Dorothy, as I remarked to the cab driver at the time, your hat was immaculate, untouched. You're asking us to believe that the killer knocked you out and then carefully put your hat back on your head again? I'm not asking you to believe anything. I'm going. What a charming revolver. The one you used on your uncle? It still has bullets in it, so don't try to stop me. Uh, Dorothy, you didn't ask me how I could be so sure the killer hadn't done that business with your hat. I don't care. I'm so sure because of Walter's statement. Remember, he saw you rush out immediately after the shot? All right, you're smart, but you'll never stop me. Perhaps not, but Walter's, who's right behind you, will. Oh, no, you can't fool me. He wasn't trying to, Miss Dorothy. I think I'd better... You're no gentleman. You knocked Miss Moore out with a bottle. Yes, sir. But but you said you were going to Canada. You misunderstood me, sir. I merely said I was going to get some Canada drive. Uh, now the bottle's ruined. That's too bad. Oh, never mind, Walt. There's no harm done. Inspector Murray, you'll take Miss Moore and I'll take an old-fashioned. been listening to another adventure of The Saint, the Robin Hood of modern crime. And now here is our star, Vincent Price. Ladies and gentlemen, next week most of you will be enjoying a wonderful Thanksgiving dinner. And while you're eating your Thanksgiving turkey and counting your blessings of the past year, think. Think for a moment of the millions of people who don't get enough to eat. Think 
and then send your subscription right away for a food package to be delivered to some needy family in Europe. Send your contribution to CARE, C-A-R-E, New York. This is Vincent Price inviting you to join us again next week at this same time for another exciting adventure of the saint. Good night. Lou Bitties. Our cast included Peggy Weber, Ted Von Els, Jerry Hausner, Tom Brown, and Daniel Hurley-He. The music was composed and conducted by Harry Zimmerman. The Saint, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris, is a James L. Safier production and is directed by Thomas A. McEvity. Vincent Price is soon to be seen in Robert Lippert's production of The Baron of Arizona. All you Saint fans will be glad to know that the Saint's comic books are on sale at all newsstands. Your announcer, Merrill Ross. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. I wonder if the Mutual Broadcasting System was CBS. You sound really far away. I do. Yes, I do. My mic's up toward my ear. (laughs) (laughs) I I lifted it up a few minutes ago because I was eating some cheese. Uh Ah. But that that made me think of you when he mentioned the comic books. Oh yeah, I know. Uh, Because I thought, wow. If you had been a kid back then, you would have probably wanted his comic books. If I had been a kid back then, I wouldn't have known that Roger Moore played a much better saint than <laughs> Vincent <laughs> Price. Well. <laughs> but I guess it's subjective, isn't it? Yeah. Um. But now, did I have the six-shooter in this bunch, or did I leave it out? You had it in this bunch, yes. Oh. Um, you also have... Uh, Sam Spade. Sam Spade, uh-huh. Yeah. And your strawberry. Mm-hmm. Any objections to us putting old Sam for next week? I have no objection. How about let's doing the six shooter and then do the surprise? Sure. Is that what you want to do? Yeah. Your wish is my command. Oh, thank you, dear. I appreciate you. Okay. Here we go. In a moment, you will hear James Stewart as the six-shooter, just one of the many great stars brought to you on Sundays on NBC. Every Sunday, hear Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy in The Marriage.
Sir Lawrence Olivier on Theater Royal. Lawrence Tibbet with the Golden Voices. Helen Hayes, Frederick March, Rex Harrison, and Lily Palmer on the NBC Star Playhouse. All of them heard only on NBC. Jane Stewart as the six-shooter. The man in the saddle is angular and long-legged. His skin is sun-dyed brown. The gun in his holster is gray steel and rainbow mother of pearl, its handle unmarked. People call them both the six-shooter. Coleman, America's leader in modern automatic home heating equipment, and the National Broadcasting Company present James Stewart as the six-shooter, a transcribed series of dramas based on the life of Britt Ponson, the Texas plainsman who wandered through the western territories, leaving behind a trail of still-remembered legends. Now, in just a moment, immediately following this important announcement, you'll hear Act One of The Six-Shooter. The Red Cross trains millions of Americans each year in first aid, water safety, home nursing, and as volunteer nurses' aides. Volunteer nurses' aides assist professional nurses in hospitals and clinics. This help requires skill. It is through the Red Cross that you and your neighbor can get that skill, can get that training. Through the Red Cross, you can answer the call of your family and your community. Help make this training possible. Give through the American Red Cross Fund. Now, Act One of The Six-Shooter, starring James Stewart. The trail to Virtue City was over the crest of Bare Neck Mountain and then down the northern slope. That's why you couldn't see the town until you were almost there, not in the clouds. Always seemed to be a stack of thick, marshmallow clouds along the side of Baranac, and by the time you got through them, the town was right in front of you. Anyway, it was about two o'clock in the afternoon when I hit the city limits, and at least what had been the city limits 10, 15 years ago. Of course, nowadays, houses on the outskirts weren't, weren't much more than just loose timbers and broken windows. When I reached the main street, things looked more normal. Not like a real town, of course, but... Well, the mercantile was open, and the bank, and the post office. Ten or twelve stores, maybe, all still doing business. I spotted what I was looking for. Oh, boy. Oh. The sign on the opera house said, Rocky Mountain Western Railroad, Virtue City Office. Well, I... I guess they might as well use the opera house for something. Jenny Lynn sure won't be singing there anymore. Not like she did for the grand opening. Uh, howdy. Afternoon. Excuse me. Uh, oh, sure. Mind handing me that box? Hmm? Uh, that one there on the desk. Oh, oh, this one, yeah. yeah I want to put these papers in it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you're cleaning out the office, That's huh? right. I see, yeah. Moving to another place. Yeah. Well, I, I guess there's plenty of vacancies in Virtue City, isn't there? Yeah, there'll soon be one more. Oh, wait a minute. What? You leaving town? I sure am, mister. In three weeks. That's what I wasted here. Three weeks. Well, I'm not wasting any more time. 
Tomorrow night, that's the deadline, then I take the stage. Virtue City doesn't deserve a railroad, and they're not getting one. Hmm? Well, what's on your mind? Uh, well, I, under the circumstances, I'm not exactly sure. That's no surprise. Nobody's sure of anything around here. No, no, what I mean is I was figuring on signing up with the railroad. I've laid track before, and I thought that I, uh, well, I've, I heard the new line was going through Virtue City. You heard wrong, mister. Uh-huh. Well, I'm sorry to have troubled you. There's other folks who should be sorry. Gave me their word. Said they'd have the right of way free and clear. Ought to sue them. That's what we ought to do. Grit? Grit Ponce. Hmm? Over here in the courthouse. It's me, Doc Cross. What? What? Oh. Oh, hello, Doc. Come on in. I say come on in. Oh, well, sure. Doc? Second office, Brent, on your right. Oh, ah. Uh, see, I, I didn't know you were still living on a... What, well, what in the thunder are you doing on a wheelchair, Doc? Oh, I fell off my horse a couple of months ago. It was his fault, not mine. Oh, his fault. Oh, sure, yes. Did you break anything? Well, I ain't positive. I had to send for Doc Sampson over to Watsonville. He says I broke my leg. Oh, butcher. Don't think he'd know a broken leg from a floating kidney. If you ask me, he's keeping me off my feet so he'll get a crack at all my patients. Oh, well, Doc could do you good. Get a little rest. Mm, maybe. Hey, sit down, Britt. Sit down. Sit Thanks. Down. Well, I was kind of surprised to see the courthouse still open. I, I thought they'd moved county seat over to Fort Gray. Politicians. Yeah, those people in Fort Gray bribed the legislature. That's what they did. But we'll get the county seat back again. Just you wait and see. Meantime, we're using the courthouse for a city hall. <laughs> I guess we got just about the fanciest city hall west of Denver. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I'm the mayor now, Britt. Oh, yes, wow. <laughs> uh, what about you? What brought you to Virtue City after all this time? I hope you ain't just passing through. Well, I'm afraid so, Doc. I was aiming to sign up at the railroad, but since they ain't coming this way... Not I'm... coming this way, but who well, told you that? Well, that fellow over at the opera house. Oh, there. that Nelson, Thad Nelson. Don't pay no attention to him. Well, he works for the railroad, doesn't he? Well, yes, he does. But he ain't never wanted the line to go through Virtue City anyhow. He'd rather have went away at Watsonville. If you ask me, Watsonville is paying him off. Oh? That's the reason he's been looking for an excuse to get out of our contract. He figures this trouble with Annie will let him off the hook. Annie? Silver Annie. You remember her. Britt Annie Huxley. Annie Huxley? Oh, Annie Huxley. Oh, sure. Well, I thought she'd moved away. No uh, such luck. She's still sitting on the old Huxley mine like a hen hatching eggs. Only thing is, there ain't no eggs in that mine, not anymore. Well, what's she got to do with the railroad, though? Well, Bip, the route's been surveyed to go through her property. Town agreed to secure all the right-of-ways the railroad had need. We're willing to pay for them and a good price. But Annie's not satisfied with what you're offering. We don't know. She won't talk to us. Won't even let anybody near her shack. Oh, oh She just sits there day and night, right by the window with her shotgun <laughs> poking out. Anybody comes on her land, she lets go. Oh. Got some fool notion there's still silver in that mine, and folks are trying to get it away from her. <laughs> well, I'm crazy. That's what she is, if you ask me. Oh, I wouldn't say that, Doc. Maybe Annie's living the past a little bit. She's got quite a past to live in, too, you know. She was, uh, I remember about her wedding to Sin Huxley, about how he put down a street of silver dollars all around the church. You remember that? Yes, well, that's beside the point. I sent for Clyde Huxley. Clyde? Clyde? Yeah, he's a relative of Sin's, a distant cousin or something like that, but a relative. We had to pay his fare all the way out from Chicago. Mm-hmm. He's seeing Annie yet? That's where he is right now, and he'll straighten her out. 
You see, he's a lawyer, and he's not the kind to put up with any nonsense. So, uh, well, Mr. Huxley, I didn't see you ride up, and I'd been watching the street. I didn't ride. I walked. You, oh, now, don't tell me that horse of mine threw you, too. I, I'm just didn't gonna... throw me. Where will I find the chief of police? What? I'm charging that woman with attempted murder. Oh, you don't mean Annie. I certainly do mean Annie. She ought to be locked up. And if I have anything to do with it, she will be. Oh, then she... She wouldn't sign over the right away. Not even for you, her own kin. I didn't get a chance to discuss it. She shot at me, point blank. Well, don't look like she hit you. It was a miracle she didn't. Well, I, I guess she just didn't know who you were, Mr. Huxley. She didn't recognize you. I told her who I was. Right after that, she fired. Yeah, well, some folks just don't cotton to relatives, it seems like. Well, she, she tried to kill me. Oh, no, she was just defending her property, Mr. Huxley. Uh, if she'd wanted to kill you, you wouldn't be walking around now. Annie knows how to handle a gun. Well, now, we, we got to do something, Britt. If we don't have that right away by tomorrow, Nelson, he, he's the railroad man, Nelson will leave town. The railroad goes through Watsonville, and that'll just about wash up Virtue City once and for all. Well, now, there must be some way of explaining things to Annie, Doc. I'd throw her in jail at... Just have to make her more cussed than ever, you know. But, say, maybe there is another way. Sure. <laughs> somebody she trusted, somebody who didn't have no axe to grind, she listened to him. Now, uh, now, Doc. You got those papers already for her to sign, Mr. Huxley? Doc. Uh, well, then uh, give them to Britt. Doc, uh, now, this ain't my affair, Doc. Now, I don't want to get mixed up with this. Oh, I know you, Britt. No, but you I... don't let us down, not at a no, time like this. I... Go on, Huxley, give him the papers. Now, wait a minute. We'll I... never forget what you're doing, Britt. The whole know, town will be in your debt. Just get her to sign in the place of her mark Doc. with an X. Doc. I knew I was riding up to the Huxley mine. Annie's shack was next to the main shaft, about a hundred yards off the road. I slid down out of the saddle and tried the gate. Holy smokes. Padlock big enough to protect the Denver Mint was chained around the post. Well, there's nothing else to do but climb over the fence. Getting on toward dusk. Now, I, I didn't know whether to sneak up on Annie unawares or just walk up to the front door in plain sight and take my chances. While I was making up my mind, I flattened down behind a pile of wooden boxes. And I, well, at least one thing was certain I wasn't going to sneak up on her unawares. Go on! Be it! Next time I won't miss. I'll put that thing down, Annie, or I'll shoot it out of your hands. Well, who's out there? Who is that? Britt Ponsett. Britt? That's right. I'm on a note. None of the flea-bitten skunks from around here would have nerve enough to talk to me that way. All right, I'm coming in, Annie. I guess there's no stopping you. Not that I believe you'd ever try to shoot this gun out of my hand, Britt, no matter what you say. Well, that makes us even, man. I don't believe you would aim it at me, either. Uh, how are things, Annie? Well, not too bad. Not too bad. To close that door, will Sure, you? sure. Fact of the matter is, Britt, I've been working the southern shaft lately. Found a vein that looks real promising. One of these days, the Huxley will be going full force again. Mm-hmm. Now... Annie, now, you don't really believe that. Why, well, of course I believe it. Why shouldn't I? 
We took a quarter of a million dollars out of this mine, Sinemi, and there's plenty more. It's just a question of finding it. Here, you want some coffee? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Now, th th these hills have been worked dry, Annie. There's no silver in them, not anymore. And uh, that's why I came up to talk to you. Here. Drink your coffee. Thanks. It's about the right of way for the railroad. You're just wasting your breath. No, but Doc Cross said you didn't know anything about the railroad, that nobody had been able to explain it to you. Oh, him. nobody had to explain it. There's nothing goes on in Virtue City that I don't get wind of. I ain't lived here 35 years for nothing. Oh, Doc says the town needs the railroad, needs it bad. Why, I got no objection to a railroad into Virtue City. Probably need it myself to haul the ore out when I strike a rich vein. But the line don't have to go through my property. Mm -hmm. In a mountain country like this, railroads don't have much choice. I asked Doc Cross, the only other route would cost a whole lot more money, more on the Rocky Mountain Western is willing to pay. Well, that ain't my problem. All I care about is the Huxley. And they not laying any tracks across it. All right, Annie. All right. That's the way you feel. Thanks for the coffee. Oh, uh, I guess maybe I ought to warn you. Your cousin's talking about putting you in jail. Huh. He ain't my cousin. He's sin. And sin never had no use for him neither. Well, whoever he is, he's... And as for putting me in jail... He'll have to find somebody to come out here and arrest me first. From what I've seen of him this afternoon, there ain't much jack. There she is, hey! Hey, Give me that gun, Annie. What? Make no trouble. Oh, what's, what's going on here, Huxley? I told you I was going to swear out a warrant for arrest. Thanks to you, the sheriff was able to serve it. Right, Ponset. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, all the low down me. Annie. Keeping me occupied so no, they no, could it's... sneak in here. No, Why? No, 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 no. Come on, Annie, let's go. Listen, Annie, I can swear I've done that. enough listening to you already. Annie. Take your hands off me, Sheriff. I ain't one of the girls from Crawford's saloon. I'm Silver Annie Huxley. And when I go to jail, I go under my own power. We'll return to James Stewart as the six-shooter in a moment. First, a word from Coleman, America's leader in modern automatic home heating equipment. When winter comes, does your house shrink like this? Well, I guess it's time to close off the two back rooms. There's just no way to heat them. Don't deprive yourself of valuable living space. Get a Coleman floor furnace or wall heater and enjoy new warmth and comfort in the hardest to heat rooms. A Coleman floor furnace or wall heater takes up a minimum of space. Yet it gives you constant circulation of fresh, warm air, just as a big basement furnace does. You'll be snug and comfortable all winter long. And if you're interested in economy as well as comfort, listen to this. Coleman floor furnaces and wall heaters are low in price, low in operating cost, because Coleman gives you maximum heat from the fuel you use, either gas or LP gas. See your Coleman dealer tomorrow. You'll find his name and address in your telephone directory. Remember... Comfort costs so little with a Coleman. Now, Act Two of The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart as Britt Ponsett.
Well, they put Annie in a buckboard and started out for town. I rode alongside for half a mile or so and tried to tell her I wasn't part of getting her arrested, but she wasn't listening. So I gave Scar his head. It was about nine o'clock when I got back to Virtue City. The place looked even stranger by night than by day. Just a light here and there where folks were living. And then whole blocks of darkness in between. Sort of like a like the candles on a cake when part of them had been blown out. I stopped off at the mansion hotel long enough to get me a room, and then I headed over to Doc Cross's house. He was sitting in the living room eating a box of hard candy when I got there. Come on in, Britt. Come on in. How'd you make out? Get her to sign on the dotted line? No. Uh, sorry to hear that. Uh, oh, my gosh. Oh, I ought to know better than to eat this stuff with my teeth. Sure is good, though. Have a piece? No, no, thanks. Uh, <clears throat> well, now, you mustn't feel too bad, Britt. I was afraid you wouldn't have much luck with it. So was Mr. Huxley. He, uh, he went ahead and got that warrant drawn up. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Oh? Uh-huh. Yeah. I was there when the sheriff arrested her. She thinks I was in cahoots with him and Huxley. Oh, well, now that's a shame. But don't you worry. I'll see if she finds out the truth. No, I guess it served me right for getting mixed up in her affairs. No, you wasn't mixing, Britt. You were just doing us a favor, and we're all much obliged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sending for Clyde Huxley was just about the smartest thing I ever pulled. Maybe, maybe so, but you haven't got the right of way yet. Mm, we'll get it, Britt. We'll get it. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think jail is the answer. Besides, you'll have to turn her loose anyway. Huxley can't make that charge of attempted murder stay. No, he's not charging her with anything, Britt. What? It's just a question of whether she's got all her faculties or not. That's what the hearing will be about. You mean... You mean he's claiming she's crazy? Well, you said yourself she was peculiar. I said she lived in the past, that's all. Everybody's got something to remember, does that, more or less? Well, in her case, it's more, not less. Of course, it's up to Judge Drayton to decide. Well, hasn't there got to be medical testimony in a sanity hearing? Yep. Huxley subpoenaed me this evening. Oh, doggone a doc now. This just isn't right. Huxley's her only relative. He looked up our state law. It says the nearest relative can demand a sanity hearing if there's sufficient cause. You take that mine away from her, you'll break her heart. Now, now, wait a minute, Britt. You said yourself this wasn't none of your business, that you were sorry you mixed into it. Sure, uh, but it just looks like I got mixed up in it. All right, good night, Doc. I'll see you later. You admit firing a shotgun at various people who have approached your place of residence at various times. I've shot at people trying to get into the Huxley mine, if that's what you mean. That's right. <clears throat> now, how often has this occurred? As often as they tried it. <laughs> yeah, now, order, order, now, now, you, you come to order. It's a very serious matter. Now, let's see, where was... Oh, yes. Uh, well, uh, surely you must admit this uh, behavior of yours isn't uh, exactly uh, normal. It's normal for me. Now, order. What I mean is the average person doesn't use firearms on harmless visitors. The average person don't own the Huxley mine. I do. Uh, 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 yeah. Uh, go ahead, Mr. Huxley. This is the crux of my poor cousin's delusion. This feeling of hers with the Huxley mine is of some great value that it still contains silver when we all know that it's worthless. And just how do you know that? You proved it to us. For ten years you've lived there and searched the shafts every day. Have you found silver? Even a trace of it? No, I ain't. You see, Your Honor. If that makes me crazy, then sin must have really been out of his head. 
He spent 12 years prospecting that mine before he made his first strike. I still got two years to go before I'll be even with him. Yes, but there was silver there then. Where is now? Sure, Rhonda. I'm sorry, Mrs. Huxley, but after what Doc Cross said and then what you yourself say, well, I'm afraid that uh, uh, the law allows me no alternative but uh, to... Uh, excuse me, Your Honor. Now, now, see here. We're not going to have any more interruptions. Who is that man, Doc? Rip Hudson. Huh? Six-shooter? Yes, and now don't you let Well, if there's something you wish to say, Mr. Ponce, this here court will be happy to hear you. Oh, thanks, Judge. Uh, I've been listening to this hearing, and uh, like Mr. Huxley says, it all seems to hinge on whether or not there's any silver in the Huxley mine. Uh, what, what I mean is, if there was silver, then Annie's actions wouldn't seem so strange, would they? Well, uh, no, 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 uh, I suppose not. Uh, she'd be protecting a valuable uh, piece of land. But... Yeah, well, now, uh, I think maybe you ought to see this report here. You see, I took some ore samples from the Huxley mine over to this assay office this morning. And, uh, well, well here, here's one of them. I'm uh, afraid I don't uh, quite follow you, Mr. Potter. Well, if you'll just read that report, Your Honor. I'll see our samples tested, so... Uh... Value of approximately $125 a ton. Well, $125? Yeah, I figured they'd run a little higher, but I guess... Uh, I guess here. They yeah, they let me see that, Judge. I can't believe it. Well, that, that that's what it says, all right. $120. Rip. Rip. This all come from the Huxley? Yeah, yeah. That's where it came from. <laughs> listen. Listen, everybody. Everybody, Andy's found silver again. For all we know, the whole town has sit on it, just like in the old days. Silver! Yeah, yeah, but, but what about the railroad? You've got a contract with my company. We don't need your railroad, Nelson. We've got silver. Yeah. Yeah. wouldn't be too hasty, Doc. Of course, there's no possibility of bringing the line through the Huxley now, I suppose. But uh, there is that other route. It would cost Mr. Nelson's company a little more money. Uh, but, that, uh, that, that might be arranged. Uh, of course, I'll have to check with the main office. Oh, you would? Huh? Oh, well, that seems a shame. Too bad you can't sort of make the decision right now on the spot, you know, before another railroad hears about the silver and tries to beat you in here. Oh, you know? no, no, no. On second thought, there really isn't any reason to delay the matter. If you'll just drop by my office, Dr. Cross, I'll send the contract and uh, give the order to begin construction on the other route. Uh, yeah, I think you'll Well, I guess that takes care of everything, except Annie and the sanity hearing. I, uh, you were just about to hand down a ruling, Judge, weren't you? Well, there's no question about her sanity. And I'm surprised it's you, Mr. Huxley. A lawyer of your standing, pressing a complaint like this. Why, Silver Annie Huxley is one of Virtue City's outstanding citizens. Always have been. Always will be. Uh, Court's adjourned. Inside of five minutes, the only people left in that courtroom were me and Annie. It's a funny thing, you know. She was the only person who hadn't been excited about the silver. She just kind of stared at me without budging. And then uh, 
corners of her lips sort of wrinkled up into a smile. Great Ponce? Yes, ma'am. You better get out of town before they find out. They'd tar and feather you for sure. Well, what, what, uh, what, what, what are you, what are you talking about, Annie? Why? You think I didn't recognize that piece of ore? I ought to. I've been looking at it for 30 years. Uh, hmm? Them samples have been sitting on my dresser ever since Sin found them in his first strike. No. You saw them last night. You knew they were souvenirs from the old days. Well, they could have been something that you dug up recently, couldn't they? I'm not saying you lied, Britt. All you told them was that the ore was from the Huxley. That's true enough. It's just a good thing they didn't ask you when. Yes, I guess it is. I guess it is. Well, anybody can make a mistake, you know. You knew what you were doing. And you knew the railroad would be coming through the other route before they got wise. No, I, I wouldn't exactly say that, but uh, under the circumstances, I kind of think maybe I'd better leave town. Don't you think that would be... <laughs> so long, Annie. Wait a minute, Britt. I want to thank you. Oh, well, nothing to thank me for, Annie. It just looks like I can't tell old ore samples from fresh ones. That's all. A month or two later, before I heard about Virtue City again, bumped into a fellow in Idaho Springs who was heading up that way. Said there'd been a big silver strike near the town. I, I tried to talk him out of going over there. I told him it's probably just a false alarm. He wouldn't listen. He said there'd been a false strike three or four weeks ago, and everybody went out prospecting. And the first thing you knew, somebody found silver. The real thing. Fellow had a newspaper from Virtue City to prove it. Editorial on the front page was by Doc Cross about moving the county seat back to where it belonged. Mm. Uh, I sure have a funny way of working out, doesn't it? Here's a tip for more great dramatic entertainment each week on the NBC Radio Network. Direct from his great hit in From Here to Eternity comes a new dramatic Frank Sinatra to play the hard-hitting adventure role of Rocky Fortune every Tuesday evening. And if comedy is your weakness, you'll want to know that Fibber McGee and Molly are now heard every day Monday through Friday on the NBC Radio Network. Remember, you'll hear more of America's greatest radio programs if you keep your dial set to this same station of the NBC Radio Network. Coleman, America's leader in modern automatic home heating equipment, and the National Broadcasting Company have presented James Stewart as the six-shooter. Mr. Stewart may currently be seen in the Universal International picture Thunder Bay. Others in the cast were Jeanette Nolan, Dan O'Herlihy, Herb Bygren, Robert Griffin, and Parley Bear. The Six Shooter is an NBC Radio Network production in association with Review Productions and is based on a character created by Frank Burke, and the transcribed story is written by him. Special music was by Basil Adlam, and the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. 
All characters and incidents were fictitious, and any resemblance to actual characters or incidents is purely coincidental. Hal Gibney speaking. Listen to Last Man Out, next on the NBC Radio Network. I love the music to that particular Western. You know, I th- I I think Jimmy Stewart is a great actor. I love Jimmy Stewart, no matter but what. But he's no cowboy. <laughs> I see him as a cowboy. Uh, no. I, you'd be surprised. Really? Yeah. Hey, I think he's played just about every kind of role there he is. I, is I, well, right? I don't, I don't know. I can't see him as a mobster or anything, but maybe who knows? Well, on, but, I mean, like I said, these things are really subjective because I, yeah. I never thought I'd see Edward actually have compassion for Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> but you, but you did in that. But one. I did in that one. Yeah, yeah, poor, I did. Poor fella. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was gonna, yeah, those, I was gonna say something about those floor heaters they were talking about. Um, yeah, have you ever been in a house where, well, probably by the time you were up and coming along, most houses, except some old houses, had gotten rid of them. Those floor heaters, uh, Floor heaters yeah. are the ones that are on the baseboards of walls. No, I'm talking about the floor heaters. They got this, you know, metal grate thing that's on the floor, and the heat comes up through that metal grate. And if you forget about them and you step on them barefooted, ow! No kidding. We never. Uh, now, we never had them, but we had friends. Mom and Daddy had friends who had them, and, and they'd forget to tell me about them. And I was in the habit of taking off my shoes <laughs> no matter where I went. And, ooh, ow. <laughs> wow. But, That's unbelievable. Uh, now, the wall heaters uh, that he's talking about, they're not the baseboard heaters. They're the the ones that actually sit in the wall and a isn't that a fire hazard uh no because they're talking about gas aren't they because you well in that particular one they were but most of these were electric oh the wall well even then wouldn't that be a fire hazard or gas well they could had gas wall heaters too but no well, they would, they could be if you got something, you know, too close to them. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how the world has improved. Evolved, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I really can't say if it improved, but it technology has certainly grown. Now the heaters that we have here, uh, where I live, they're they're window units mm-hmm. instead wow. of being central air and heat. They're they're um, yeah, they're window units. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we got one more to go, and that is my little 
strawberry and whipped cream for the Sunday. And this guy is one of my favorites since childhood. I loved him on television. And I uh, used to watch him, the Red Skelton Hour, every Tuesday night. And uh, I think early in my childhood, he might have came on some other time besides Tuesday. Somehow, I want to say I remember him on Sunday, but that might have been Ed Sullivan, and I don't much like Ed Sullivan. But um, I used to love the Red Skelton Hour. He used to make me laugh so much. So anyway, now we'll give a listen to Red Skelton. And, lump Lump Willie. Huh? Lump Lump Willie. Oh yeah, Lump Lump Willie. And then that'll be that'll be it for today. Policemen came to this country to see what was going on in this land of the free. On hot dogs and chewing gum, he couldn't be sold. Baseball and nylon, they left him cold. But when they showed him refrigerators, he said, By George, you won't know what you're missing if you don't see no it. <laughs> Transcribed from Hollywood, Norge, a division of Borg Warner, manufacturers of America's most modern automatic and conventional washers, electric and gas ranges, water heaters, and home freezers. Originators and world's largest manufacturers of self-defrosting refrigerators, Norge presents... The Red Skelton Show. With Red Skelton, David Rose and his orchestra, the ring title, Pat McGeehan and the Smith Twins will be me, Rod O'Connor. the star of our program, Red Skelton. Thank you and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, Rod. Fine, Red. Well, here we are. Yeah, I'm as surprised as you are. <laughs> well, what do you mean? I thought we had a good show last week, considering we were all so nervous. I'm always nervous, especially the night before the broadcast. Last night, I put my pants up to the back of a chair. <laughs> well, I fixed that up. <laughs> I always get nervous, especially the night before the show. Last night I put my pants in the bed and I hung over the chair. <laughs> well, tell me, uh, what did the sponsor have to say? He ran right up to me and he said, Well, Skelton, you've done it again. I'll find a loophole in your contract if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> Oh, he was only kidding. I don't know. He's kind of funny, this guy. When he gets mad, he talks real loud and jumps up and down, you know. Oh, it doesn't mean a thing. Lots of people do that. I was underneath oh. at the time. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have suggested uh, shortening the commercials. Oh, no, you didn't. Well, what did he say to that? Why are you so surprised? We've been rehearsing this for three hours. <laughs> we'll do it again. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't have suggested we shorten the commercials. Oh, no, you didn't. What did he say to that? I couldn't understand everything he said. He was just sort of mumbling as the two men took him away. Say, <laughs> <laughs> hey, where did you take the sponsor after the show? Well, I took him out to see some of the Hollywood sites. Of course, he likes them much younger, you know. 
I took him over to the Macombo. Do you like the floor show there? Yeah, especially the girl that does a dance out there as a basketball player, you know. Oh, no, that wasn't an interpretation of a basketball player. She was a bubble dancer. No kidding. No wonder she didn't dribble. Hmm? <laughs> a minute, I thought the dance was fixed. Huh? Red, I meant to ask you, you know, when you go to a dinner with such a large group, do uh, you have to pay the check or do you usually go Dutch? Oh, it's usually... No, I go like an American. Huh? <laughs> no, it's usually the same old Hollywood story, especially when the check comes. Mm -hmm. They usually say, excuse me, I have to make a phone call, will you? Then when you come back, you're counting your money and the guy says, oh, you shouldn't have done it. <laughs> Either that or the vicious boy, it's the vicious boy. <laughs> Doesn't anyone ever take the check? Oh, yeah. This guy, he's got the greatest racket of all. He'll say, give me the check, will you? Give me the check. Let me have it, will you? Gee, fellow, wait a minute. Now, he stands there and he adds it up and he hands it right back. He says, that's right. Go pay it, will you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never realized people were like that. Yeah, I know one star that drops a nickel in a glass of water is a little magnifying. and the waitress will think she's getting a quarter. <laughs> Start getting off the record. Did the sponsor let you pay the check? Yeah, he says, uh, pay the check and we'll split later. Did you split? Yeah, as soon as we got outside, we split. He went his way and I went my <laughs> Here are the Smith Twins singing in the rain. If you're anything like most folks these days, the next home appliance you want is an automatic washer. Maybe you're shopping around now, comparing brands. 
Well, don't decide till you've seen the new Norge Timeline Automatic. That's the automatic washer that's breaking sales records all over the country. And when you see it, you'll see why. This new Norge Automatic has what women want at a lower price than any comparable washer on the market. Washing with Norge is simplicity itself. There's not even a dial to set. You just press the Timeline button and Norge automatically fills with hot or warm aerated water. Washes, rinses, spin dries, even cleans itself out. Norge Wave Agitation gets clothes cleaner by actual tests than other washers, even ringer types. Norge rinses clothes five times in warm water. Spins clothes almost ironing dry with no tangling. Ask your local Norge dealer for a free demonstration of the new Norge Timeline Automatic. Because you won't know what you're missing if you don't see Norge. The Skelton Scrapbook of Satire. <laughs> Chapter 4. This is the story of Willie Lumplump, a barber who is trying to improve his shop. Howdy, Willie. Uh, What's cooking? Nothing. It always smells this way in here. <laughs> How's your barber shop doing? Well, I guess I'll have to wait for the tourist trade. Everybody in this bird's wise to me, you know. Well, if there's ever a depression and people want to get their throat cut, you'll do a landslide business. Oh, I don't think so. Not as long as we have the boys in Washington that cut throat in business already, you know. <laughs> Willie, maybe you'd get along better if you laid off that stuff. Oh, just a minute. <laughs> You stop insulting me, boy. I can take care of myself. Well, then get up off your knees. I'm on my hands and knees. I thought it was strange that I could touch the floor with my hands without bending over, you know. <laughs> I gotta get out of here. Your wife's crossing the street. Where? Where? Right there. Oh, look. Watch out, dear. Watch out. Turn around. There's a car behind you, dear. There's a car behind you. I missed her. <laughs> Well, what can you expect with all these out-of-town drivers, you know? Tell me, Willie, what's your wife like? Everything but me. <laughs> oh, well, wife. howdy, Mrs. Lump Lump. Howdy, Mr. Fumbleframe. <laughs> Getting a shave and haircut? No, not until I check my accident insurance to see if it covers barbershops. Well, guess it'll be gone. Hello, Willie. Are you trying to start an argument? <laughs> business, Willie? Well, only two shaves and one haircut and one subpoena for a manslaughter charge. I need some money. You do? Well, very well. I shall call the bank and see if they'll give you a job. <laughs> what did you buy now? And where did you get that fascinator? Oh, I made it with my own little hands. You did what? I made it with my own little hands. Didn't you use wool? <laughs> They're fascinated those things that they crochet, you know, and they put around their heads. Just... Oh, boy. Didn't you have any customers today? Three. You, three? Yeah. You didn't work on them for nothing. No, I paid them. Oh, Willie, open that drawer. Let's see what you have in the register. Yeah, I'd like to see, too. My, ain't that beautiful... The nicest varnished drawer I've ever seen. Oh, Willie, what happened? Where's all our money now? Willie, look at me. Both 
eyes. I know what you look like. <laughs> and you just don't look like to me. What do I look like? Ah, you look beautiful, gorgeous, and fascinating. Why, really? You never said those sweet things to me before. Well, that's because I've never seen you standing there like that. With the sun in your hair and that razor in your hand. <laughs> Willie, honestly, for two cents I'd go home to Mother. Oh, gee, sweetheart, I, I feel like a feel. You do? Yeah, I don't have two cents. <laughs> oh, Willie, you promised me that you... Oh, shut up! Well, she's a windy old bird, ain't she? <laughs> Uh-oh, here comes a customer, here's a customer. Well, there's somebody ahead of me. I'm after this lady. No, no. I don't think much of your taste if you are. <laughs> well, you're welcome to her. <laughs> I'm not a customer. I'm a manicurist. I'll have a shave. Once over politely. <laughs> uh, nice little shop you have here. Oh, yes, yes. I got it with my GI loan. I've only been open for three years. All I owe the government now is a grudge. <laughs> I was in the service. You were in the service? Mm -hmm. Enlisted man? No, officer. Oh. Hey, what are you strapping me in for? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just don't want you getting those dizzy spells when I get you up kind of high. Pump the chair up. I don't want you, uh, what was your rank, sir? Colonel. Colonel. <laughs> I do believe I've hit the jackpot. <laughs> Uh, you want a haircut? Just a shave. Shave? Shave. <laughs> I do believe I've died and gone to heaven. <laughs> you want a shave? Yes, a shave, please. I was just an enlisted man, sir. Oh. <laughs> Army or Navy? Army. Good. <laughs> Infantry, maybe? Yes. Oh, I have. It's a death. <laughs> You, uh, still want me to shave you, sir? Yes, yes. You ought to know better than this boy. I tell you, this boy, well, we've all got to go through. That's <laughs> <laughs> just as well you, you're getting a shave anyhow. You get a little thin on the top. Say, would you like a bottle of old Willie Lump Lump's hair restore? Is it any good? I use it all the time. With a little ginger ale, of course. <laughs> you mean you drink it? Isn't that dangerous? Not if you don't smoke for an hour afterwards. <laughs> Oh, it does leave a little carbon on your tonsils, but... Well, what I want to know is, will it grow hair? Will it grow hair? This will grow hair on billiard balls. Really? Yes, go over to the pool hall. They've got the hairiest billiard balls you've ever seen. <laughs> you know, my wife opened a bottle of it with her teeth the other day, and three days later, she has a mustache. <laughs> Call it a mustache. Of course, I've seen more hair on bacon myself. <laughs> Well, I shall save you, sir. Yeah. Business has been good, huh? Oh, yeah, my third customer. Today? No, just my third customer. <laughs> You'll have to remove that cigarette. Uh, here's an ashtray, sir. Not looking ashtray? Yeah. Looks like a nickel plate of the earth. Oh, it is. Willie got that from the second customer he shaved. <laughs> Tell me about the first. We never speak of him anymore. <laughs> And he don't pop off much either. You know. <laughs> I'll never forget that guy. I, I, I was shaving him, see? And he looks down and he says, Who's that ear on the floor? 
I said, put your finger in it. It feels good. It's yours. Now, Billy. <laughs> now, you be more careful. Yeah. Would you care for a manicure, mister? Yes. Say, you look rather attractive. Well, you look kind of handsome yourself. There's a couple that need glasses of air. <laughs> What are you doing tonight, honey? Oh, nothing. What do you got in mind? <laughs> oh, she'll be alone if yeah. you're talking to her. I... Well, should we go to dinner? Well, I'd better warn you. I eat like a horse. And hay is pretty hard to get. I <laughs> <laughs> <Let's> say. <laughs> Could you uh, rush a little? I'm in a hurry. <laughs> oh, oh, no. First, I have to soften your beard here. Here's a nice hot towel. It'll come in handy. Ooh! Boy, is that hot? Ooh! Oh. Of all the stupid tricks, what was the idea of dropping that hot towel on my face? Well, you didn't expect me to hold it and burn my hands, did you, sir? Dave Rose and the orchestra play the third man theme. <laughs> Now for one of those helpful wash day hints from Jesse Cartwright, co-director of the Norge Home Economics Department. Here's a time saver for your spring house cleaning. Before washing slip covers or draperies, baste the pleats in place. Then they'll need very little ironing. In fact, quite often you can shape the slip covers into place when they're almost dry with no ironing at all. If you have a Norge Timeline automatic washer, your ironing is always easier because Norge's tangle-free super spin gets the water out without pressing the wrinkles in. And what a snap Norge makes out of doing the family washing. 
All you have to do is press the timeline button and Norge does the rest from fill to finish. Norge gets clothes cleaner by actual tests. Gives them five warm rinses, the overflow type that floats out dirt. Yet Norge uses less water than average. Ask your Norge dealer for a free demonstration of the new Norge Timeline Automatic. Or you won't know what you're missing if you don't see Norge. Chapter 25, The Little Boy and the Barber. There comes a time when the kiddies must be taken to the barber shop. And it's really a handful of trouble for the old gent if it happens to be Junior, the mean little kid. Junior! Yes, kiddo! Have you been in the kitchen? Someone pinched a big hunk out of my newly baked cake. Well, it deserved to get pinched. It was fresh. your jaw. What? You got the mouth? No. Come here. Now, what have you got in your mouth? Bubble gum. Bubble gum? Bubble gum. Where did you get the money to buy it? I didn't buy it. I had it for years. I just had it retweeted now and then. Junior, you haven't had it for years. Now, where did you get it? Well, the little boy next door, he gave it to me. That little ruffian? Yeah, that little ruffian. Well, that's the first nice thing he's ever done. Wasn't so nice after all. He was through with it, you know. Hey, what, what a bubble it makes. This stuff, boy, has really got body to it, you know. Oh, goodness. Oh, boy, ain't that a dandy, huh? Oh, that, that, that's big enough. Oh, it, Junior, it's bigger than your head. You better step back. This may be a little sloppy, you know. <laughs> no! I blew off my head! I blew off my head! You know, for my kid, Steve. You have gum all over your face. Well, get it off, get it off. Goodness me, I don't want people to think I'm stuck up, you know. Junior, honestly, little by little, I hear the booby hatch calling my name. Did you make a reservation? Now, look, it's all in your hair. Go get the hairbrush. What for? To see if I can brush it out. I'll go get the comb. I'd be a sucker to put a weapon like that in her hand. I'll go get it. No, no, it's no use. I'll have to take you to the barber and let him cut it out. Be careful crossing the street there, Mummy. A car might hit you. How nice. Are you worried about your mummy? Yes, I is, especially when you're holding on my hand so tight. I don't like barbershops. I wish I had hair like Poppy. Why? Like. Well, then you could take me hair to the barbershop, and then I wouldn't have to go along. <laughs> now, Junior, listen to me. Before we go into the barbershop, I want you to promise to act like a little gentleman. I'll act like a little, little gentleman. <laughs> Bella Lugosi. <laughs> when you're sitting in the chair, now don't move around. You might get cut. I don't care if he cuts me. It might work out just right, you know. I'll fix it so I'll never get another haircut, see. I'll wait until he's ready to clip, and then when he opens up his sisters, I'll go, boo, and he'll cut me head off. And it'll roll down. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I scared me down. Don't cry. He won't hurt you. Oh, enjoy it. I've already sent the thought out. Now it will happen, you know. <laughs> oh, no, it won't. You said it before you realized. Yes, I did before I realized. Bless his little heart. Yeah, bless his little heart. Now, don't cry, and I'll buy you a soda. A, a large uh, one with chocolate? Yes. With, with, ice, uh, with, with chocolate ice cream? Yes. With chocolate syrup? Yes. And lemon? Yes. Why a lemon? Well, it's kill the taste of all that chocolate. <laughs> all right, now, come on. Let's go into this barbershop. Hello. I'll be about a half hour. We'll wait. Oh, I was afraid of that. 
Now, Junior, sit down and don't disturb the barber. You'll oh. make him cut the man he's shaving. And you wouldn't want to do that, would you? <laughs> you know me very well, do you? <laughs> I think I'll look around the, the shop here. You're going to sit down. Uh, who says I will? May I borrow your razor strap? I says I will. <laughs> I'll stay right there. Where are you going? I'm going down to the butcher shop. The butcher shop? Yes. Tell me, what bank did Pop rob? <laughs> Junior. I did a little, catching the fiddle, and the cow jumped over the moon, and butter went sky high. <laughs> That's enough of that. I'll be right back. Yes. Well... Here we are, all alone. Yes, you and me and mm. that man asleep in the chair. Yes, but I can wake him up quick, especially if I need help. Oh. What did you have in mind? Now go sit down like your grandmother said. He's not my grandmother. My grandmother's going hunting. What's she hunting? The stork that brought me. <laughs> hey, when you clip my hair, are you going to clip my head off? No, I like good little boys. Well, looks like there goes my head. <laughs> No, you don't have a little boy just like you. What reform school? <laughs> hey, what are you doing to that man? I'm shaving him. Do you want to shave? Oh, no, no, I guess not. Me five o'clock shadow is more like a one o'clock fuzz. You know? <laughs> Boy, uh, you must give a lot of whippings around here. Look at all them tail brushes. Oh, those are for brushing the hair. They is? Mm-hmm. Boy, my mommy still got something mixed up here, boy. Everything's <laughs> <laughs> upside down with that kid. Do you get whipped much with a hairbrush? Do I? I am the only kid in our neighborhood who rides his tricycle side saddle. <laughs> Look, uh, go sit down, son. You're making me nervous. Sit down and I'll give you a penny for a lollipop. Well, give me a nickel for an all-day sucker. All right, here you are. Uh, incidentally, uh, exactly what is an all-day sucker? You are. <laughs> oh, the phone. I'll answer it. I'll answer it. No, no, no. It might be my wife. Oh, your wife? Oh, poor girl. Maybe something wrong. Hello? Oh. Oh, no. Something serious. Oh, no. Oh, oh poor man. Well, how did I do in the second race? Yeah. <laughs> Wait till I close the door. Well, goodness. Anything to keep me waiting. I think I'll finish saving this guy so I can get out of here. The barber might appreciate my thoughtfulness. And then again, he might get mad. And then again, I don't know why I'm wasting my time arguing with myself. I'm going to do this, anyhow. <laughs> I'll just stand up here on his straw hat so I can reach him. Well, well, we all got to go to the other. Well, I can't reach that razor over there, so I guess I'll have to be shaving with these scissors. Well, I will see if it's sharp enough. Oh, not bad, not bad. Well, maybe I should have thought before I cut the leg off his pants. <laughs> I guess maybe I better match it up. At least he won't look so silly, he can always pass himself off as a scoutmaster. Here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, that looks better. Now I'll crawl up on his chest. Gee, this guy must have been eating an awful lot of feathers. He's so soft. <laughs> oh, there's the kind of haircut I'd like to have, boy. Look at that. High on the side with a hole in the middle. <laughs> now, look at them big eyebrows. How things at the mind. <laughs> What do you hear from Ohio? <laughs> Besides cat. Oh, well, here it goes. I think I'm going against the grain here. Oh, boy, he's going to look like a billiard boy with eyes, this guy. <laughs> well, now you look a little more friendlier there. 
Hey, what are you doing? Here. Hey, how's your wife running the third race? Get down off my customer. He may be your customer, but he's my creation, boy. Here, let go of me. You're breaking my rib. Hey, what's going on here? Here, the top. Oh. Stop kicking me. Well, get your face out of my feet, will you? Put me down. Look, I came in here to get whiskers shaved off, not kicked off. Oh, what's going on in here? <gasps> I knew it. Madam, you should attend to that portable monster. Oh, go grow some eyebrows. He cut them off. Oh, you tattletale. <laughs> Junior, you didn't. Just wait till I get you home. Oh, no, no. You should whip him now. You stay out of this. She knows how to raise kids. <laughs> Where's my hat? I'm getting... There. Great Scott, look at my straw hat. Oh, well, I think crushed straws are very nice. <laughs> if I can find a cheap lawyer, I'll sue. Well, please, mister, it's not my fault. Come on, Junior. Hey, what about my haircut? What about the chewing gum in my head? My hair is standing on end. And you will be, too, for the next week. Because I'm going to whip you till you can't sit down. Oh, you... Next! <laughs> This is Rod O'Connor saying, remember, in washers, gas, and electric ranges, water heaters, home freezers, and refrigerators, everything Norge makes, Norge makes right. Visit your local Norge dealer to see the new Timeline Automatic Washer this week while it's being featured. Ask for a free demonstration. See how Norge's new wave agitation works, how it gets clothes really clean. See those five warm rinses and how clothes come out of a Norge super spin untangled and almost dry enough to iron. Then look at the price tag. When you see how much less this new Norge costs than any comparable washer, you'll see why Norge is having a hard time keeping up with the orders. It'll pay you to see the Norge Timeline Automatic Washer soon. And now until next week, this is Red Skelton saying thanks for listening and reminding you that you won't know what you're missing if you don't see Norge. for the Red Skelton Show. Red Skelton is heard in this program to the courtesy of Metro-Golden-Mayer Studios. This is a copyrighted feature transcribed from Hollywood. This is the CBS Radio Network. Music was never going to hush. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we won't know what we're missing because we, we won't be trying Norge. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that about wraps us up for another, um, yeah, afternoon radio theater Sunday. Um, I, I hope y'all enjoyed that. I just, I've always loved Red Skelton. <laughs> and uh but 
anyway, if you don't, I can appreciate that too, because that's comedy from a long time ago. But um, anyway, um, I'm, I'm glad to have y'all with us this afternoon, and I look forward to having you next Sunday. I don't know exactly what I'll do yet, but I'll do something. And um, Victor will be back with me. You if, sure will. If 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 me or Annabelle one doesn't kill him first. <laughs> that's that's very true. Uh, but anyway, see y'all next week. Have a good one, everybody. Bye-bye, everybody.